So thank you, Andy and Noreen, for talking with me. Where and when were each of you born? I was born in Jordan, 1982. What day? Tell her what day. November 6th. Lived all my life in Jordan. And I came here six years ago. So that makes you a Scorpio, November 6th, you said? Mm-hmm. Do you identify at all with this Scorpio intensity and deep feelings? Uh, somehow. I love to read about it. <laughs> I love to know it sometimes. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, I was born on November 8th, 1981, a year and two days before yep. uh, Noreen was born. Oh, so you're born Scorpio. So that you must have an intense connection. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's pretty much when you said feelings and intensity. Yeah, that's, that's right there, man. That's that's exactly what. Um, so it's the birthday, uh, our birthday on the seventh, in between. Yeah. So oh. we don't have two birthdays and two different days. So we celebrate in a day in the middle. Mm-hmm. Perfect. So Noreen, when you came to the to California six years ago, what what? culture shock did you experience? I'm thinking maybe small families, isolation, I don't know. What what did you see? So the thing, I didn't come to California six years ago. We lived in Pennsylvania for four years and that's totally different than California. Um, I actually, I felt a lot of, um, I had to learn everything. I didn't even know how to go to speak with my children teacher or set a doctor appointment because insurance works completely different here. So I didn't I didn't have my license here, so I had to wait a whole year and before I start driving. Um bending on Andy to do everything and help me with everything. Like the best I could do, just walk to the stores, maybe get some groceries and walk to the school, pick up the kids. And I worked right the way. I was a dorm parent at a boarding school. And I feel that helped me a lot with uh, my English, uh, get more comfortable with my English. I spoke English since I was little, but to get comfortable and like, not feel like shy, I may, I may say something, might be wrong, people will laugh at me, that type of thing. So yeah, I, everything was different, everything full with people, um, the way people look at you, the way people, um, more and more I learned that was more people wants you to fit a certain image, and if you don't fit it, like the Middle Eastern brown girl, um, I worked in hotels all my life, so for some people I think they interrupt that, as I didn't speak perfect English or good English, that's not, we're not perfect. <laughs> good English uh, means that she, uh, like, poor little girl, and I was never poor little girl. I was just didn't know how to express myself. And I was always, like, independent, strong. Um, I learned a lot. I would say I learned a lot. When I came to California, um, I love California. You see all different kinds of people, like, no one look at you and ask you. Um, like right away, where are you from? You have an accent. At least it would. I feel like people in California, especially in LA, because I work in hotels too. When they ask you, oh, you have an accent. Where are you from? Are you Spanish? Are you Mexican? Are you in in a, in a nice way, let's say? But maybe in in Pennsylvania, I felt more people asking to put me in a category that 
I don't belong. Yeah. Hmm. So Excuse me, your kids were born in Jordan? Yes. So how old were they when they came here? Miriam turned two here. Our first week in America, she turned two. No, no, no Mia, sorry, Mia, Mia turned, turned four. four. And Miriam turned two here. Yeah. And are you, do you speak Arabic to them so they're bilingual? Well, unfortunately, we lost the language when we lived in Pennsylvania because mm -hmm. I felt like... Um, you know, at that time, Trump was just elected, and I felt like it was not um, a language you want to speak out loud or out in the wow. stores, because, yeah, I've seen people, I was, you know, speaking Arabic to me in the store, and I've seen people look at me, and I was scared. I didn't know much. I just hear stories, and you see all this, um, how people think of, like, people coming from the Middle East or Muslims or something like that. So I was scared. I started speaking more English to them. And I feel like they understand, but they don't really speak it. So hopefully we'll work on it. As somebody, as you know, you can kind of see that when we would start speaking Arabic to each other, that like Noreen was generally uncomfortable to do it in public. And it became, you start, as a husband, you start to pick up on, oh, maybe, then, okay, maybe it's, because I was, for a long time, I really was like, oh, they're going to be bilingual, way down. And at a certain point, it just became um, one of those things that we, we still speak it back and forth, and, and, and they, they, they actually, they, they, they do have. They have the accent. So what, one thing we did do is we were we did make them pronounce certain words so that they could phonetically be able to pronounce the words later in life because that's what their vocal cords develop. So they have the ability to pronounce the words if they should choose later. And when they we went to Jordan about two years ago. Yeah. When we went to Jordan two years ago, we were kind of surprised that they did start to pick it up as they were sitting in rooms with people that only spoke Arabic. You could start to see them try to figure out what everyone was saying. And so we, we got we felt a little bit better because we thought they know they, they're going to be able to do it easily. So we're, we're, very, we're kind of hoping that eventually that they'll get back to And maybe it was me just like, maybe I just want to fit in. So I don't want to speak a different language. Uh, to, that would make me more different besides like the way I look, my color, my accent. I just don't want to add to uh, the mix. But, you know, it's so much easier when the brain gets wired young to speak another language. So I, I hope... You'll read to them, you know, bedtime stories in Arabic, and so they their brains get wired. Yeah, we're working on it. We just started. we buy them Arabic, like they have Arabic storybooks, and we have um, Yasmina took this summer took Arabic lessons. Oh, good. And so we're in the process of building it back up to make sure that we can, yeah. because you know we're trying to find ways to get back into that, but it's yeah. it's tough. Well, life is busy. I mean, there's a lot going on with two. Two two jobs and two households. Oh, there's a cute one. <laughs> oh, she doesn't um, Andy, you were in the Peace Corps. That's how you got to the Middle East in the first place? Yep, that's how I got there. Where, were you in Jordan or Israel? Uh, no, I was in Jordan first. Um, uh, and I was in uh, the village. And um, the reason we met was because, have you heard of an organization called Operation Smile? Mm -mm. Uh, they do, they're the medical charity that fixes children with cleft Club palate. So, well, they did the surgeries for Iraqi, it was 2004, so they did the surgeries for the Iraqi kids, but they couldn't do it in Iraq, so they had to bust them to Amman to do it, and so what people don't know about Peace Corps is they actually will farm you out to different organizations because you, you have, you know, the language and the cultural, you know, abilities, so we would stay at a hotel with the patients because the surgeries take two weeks, and she was the, she was um, the, uh, 
at that time front desk, right? Front desk manager. So at the time she was the front desk manager of the hotel role that was taking place. And so when we were doing this, when like we did this about three times, like it, it took about a year and a half to even build up for us to talk. Um, and then by the, that last time, then we, I finally got the courage. I and he was just learning Arabic, so he would say the funniest things ever. Doesn't make any. So, with a bad, with like a farmer accent, right? Like a like a like, like, like a villager accent. <laughs> Very appealing. She, what, what time? Like she's like Andy, your accent is so cute. And I was like, why? She's like, because you sound like a you sound like a kid from like a village who's in the city for the first time. You know what I mean? So I was trying to sound cool and stuff, but like it, it was. Bad accent and a bad, you know, it's just a, but it endeared me to her, so I can imagine. I'm glad that you I saw her. made her laugh. Sort of. <laughs> so when you when you first saw her, you thought, "Ooh, she's really attractive," but I I shouldn't do cross cultural personal connection or what? What was? How did this gradually connect? The the first time I saw her, like it was when I was holding the girl, and she was slapping me, right? Yes. Like the first time like we ever looked at each other, I would say that, right? Yeah. So like there was this little kid with like this, it's a child with a picture of the form, you know what I mean? So like yeah. I was playing with all these kids and we were having fun and these little kids were running around me and stuff. I'm a teacher, so like I just don't know how to do these things. And I was picking up this girl playing with her and she thought it was the funniest thing in the world to slap me in my face as hard as she could. And then giggle and giggle and laugh and laugh and laugh. And then I, and I, would, I was like, oh, that's really funny. And then she'd do it again. <laughs> Because she knew I wasn't gonna put her to drop her, you know. So like she did it, and then the last time she did it, I looked around like I hope somebody is seeing this so they can say stop. And as I turned and looked, she was looking at me going like this, like like that. And that was I think the first time our eyes locked. Um, but then the 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 time that we came back is when somebody like we went back because my friend of mine said that he left some computer speakers um, at the hotel, and so. I went back to the hotel and she was at the front desk and I was I was like, oh, I, I've lost these computer speakers. Now here's where the stories will diverge to either cute versus accurate and I'll leave you to which one you think it is. I'll tell you the most accurate. Okay. Um, but, oh, I will come, oh, she came from the desk, oh, I'll help you find it, I'll help you find it. And it took an hour and a half to look for these things and we looked in like two places and had coffee three times. So at a certain point, we weren't really looking for these speakers. Um, and then when we came back down, um, well, I went back to the front desk and she went behind the front desk. And I, if you, if you lived in the Middle East, you know that dating has this, this kind of protocol. Yeah. If there is dating. You can do it. But there's a, there's a protocol to it. Like, you got to have an excuse. There's got to be a reason. And dating is not out there. It has to be hidden. It's not like I'm going to go home and tell my brothers, oh, guess what? I have a new boyfriend. No, it's not something you talk about. Right. No. Like maybe you tell your mom. Uh, your sister, uh, your friends, but you don't make it public. That's not something you can talk about openly to the male side of your family or friends. Because they'd right. want to protect you from the bad guy. Right. right. So yeah. I came to the front desk, exactly this guy. So it, I came to the front desk and I got one of those little business cards they usually keep you know, in the front and I got a pen. And you're, what, you'll love this move. I said, well, I, I'm sorry we couldn't find the speakers. And I wrote down my phone number and I said, but if you find them, really? and I, oh, hang on, I handed it to, I just kind of held it out, and she was a little, and she was more enthusiastic than would usually happen of grabbing it to make sure that she got it, and that's when I kind of knew, and then when I left, she sent a text right away, and it was, to be fair, it was very fresh, she sent a text, and 
Dear uh, and Mr. Andy, we be at the hotel. We're sorry we could not find your speakers. We apologize. You know, here's my number. Here, and, and here's my number if you need to. You know, right? And then I replied. Very professional. Okay, wait. And then my reply was. My reply was no, my dear, it is completely fine. What's your favorite color? And, and then she responded purple. And then from that point on, I asked her a series of, of, of this or that yeah. questions in an effort to kind of just keep the conversation. Like what was it, shampoo or conditioner? Um, ice cream or um, something. Ice cream or ice cream or chocolate, like uh, Pepsi or Coke. And through the next, I would say what about at least month. month. Every night we were texting back and forth yeah. for hours. Of like men. not saying how's your day, what you did today. Like uh, okay, so here's another question for you. Yeah. It, it, because the language Mountains very, or beach, let's say. Because like your, your English at the time was working English, and my Arabic was childlike English, yeah, Arabic. So like, it wasn't like we could. Yeah, I wasn't comfortable uh, having a full conversation with my English. Honestly. So, we, but between the two, like I start a sentence in Arabic and finish it in English, and then if we didn't know a word, like we ask, and then we both looked it up together, and then for that. That happened, and so we had like this text message room, and I think we went, we got coffee once. We got coffee once. We got coffee one time, and then in that month, it, uh, the end, but it was the end of my Peace Corps service, so quite literally, we had coffee, and then like three weeks later, I left. And to be very, and so she's gonna, she hates me for this. I never thought I would ever see her again because I, I the, the notion of getting married and me converting when I'm 25. Like, I had this ideological stand about it. You know, but like, we didn't have a conversation about we're going to be together or, like, right. I'm going to wait for you or something like that. It was more like, I like you, you like me, but it's like the elephant in the room. We didn't talk about it. Right. But we both knew that we like each other, but maybe because he's going back to America, I'm going to live my life here. It's not going to work. So we, I, I went to the United States, and I was in, and so this is how you know, like, that it's, it's meant to, a guy went to the United States, and I was in, I was in the States for, um, uh, a year and a half before I ended up getting the job in Israel, and then I moved to Israel. And then, um, um, you know, it's funny. The first time that you and I talked uh, when we were doing that forum or whatever that was, was the night, I think one of the first nights that I had come, like, because I had come back to Jordan just to, like, see, you know, what's, and I, and I was so smug about it, like, yeah, maybe I'll call her, you know what I mean? Like, you know, maybe, you know, I'll see what's going on. Like, I, I found her email, and I emailed her and, see, and I said, can I see you? And she's like, we'll see. And then, um, I'm sorry, I don't, you can speak through, no, if, I, if I get in this wrong, she'll correct me, no, I promise you. So like, um, when I came back, I, I was kind of, oh, maybe I'll see her, maybe I'll see her. But in the, but since I had left, uh, what, how old were you when I left, 22? Yeah. Like you were 22, I was 25. But, you know, that's a, that's a big couple of years. So you were, you were 20, no, you were 24, I was 25. So at 24, 25, but when we came back, we were a little bit more grown up, and she had gone from front desk manager to assistant GM of the hotel. And so she had, she had, she had become, we both matured a lot, and so when I got there, you know, I was kind of like, I'll just see this girl, we'll see how it's going, you know, and stuff like that. And then when we got there, the first thing she said to me is, she, she got me to the match, she's like, what'd you say? You're like, what, email doesn't, well, big America, email doesn't work, you can't call me this whole time? Yeah, I just didn't like the idea, or I just wanted to be the girl, um... I have a girl in town type of thing, like I'm not that person, like you don't talk to me when you're here, then you leave, then you don't even bother, and you're coming back to work in Israel, and now you're going to contact me. So for me, it was more like, um, welcome back, how can I help you? <laughs> and literally like this, yeah. 
But then I asked if she wanted to get coffee, and she said yes. So we walked to a coffee shop, and halfway there, I this is really appropriate, I, I did try to kind of hold her hand as we were walking, and she slapped it away. But for some reason, that made it worse. I was like, oh, my goodness gracious, that's fantastic. And, and But because then, then she still went to get coffee with me, and I'm like, okay. So and and, and I correct you. And she corrected him. Yes. And I think it was it was that that coffee was what did it, right? Yes. With the coffee when we sat down and oh. we were looking at each other and we were talking to each other and I think it was the two she I we were making a joke, you know, I mean it was like, Hey, who knows, maybe someday we'll get married or something and and I was like, What do you want for your dowry? And she's like, I want two baby cows and I remember thinking, Oh, that's so cute and when we went home, that was a joke. It was a joke, that was so gross. Yeah. which we find out later when she came to Wisconsin. Yeah, but it? My family was happy to show her a dairy farm too. No, thank you. <laughs> anyway, I mean, this is a long story, but I have to say, so then it's great. Night, the next couple of days, um, in the course of the next couple of days, she invited me to her house for lunch, which is the next. I mean, that's a step, right? Oh, that's to big. Meet, to meet her mom. Yeah, and that's her big. I told my mom. Uh, my mom knows about him before, but she knows there was nothing serious. But when I went back home, I have a really good relationship with my mom. Mm-hmm. My mom is very open-minded, um, clear, tough person. I went back home and I told her, like, oh, guess who I saw today? I saw this person. And to go get a coffee with the guy, that's something that has to be approved with mom first. What One important element of this story, Gail, is we're both from single moms. Yeah. That's a huge, 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 huge part of the story. My mom was widowed, and her her parents were were divorced at the time, and yeah. so what we skipped the, you know, this isn't typical. We kind of had the, we skipped the the patriarchal uh, element. Sarah was on five boys, so for my mom, I'm from a big tribe in Jordan. So for my mom, she was like very, very protective of me because God forbid something happened to me, everybody's gonna be questioning her. Uh, especially as a girl, and you know, like Middle East mindset sometimes could be, I mean, always, not sometimes, is way more harsh on the female. Uh, like, Honor. that means it is her well, you didn't do your job, yeah. Uh, so she was very, very careful about, like, I don't think I've ever in my life stayed outside, like, not home. I've never slept outside, sleepover, that's not something, all my life. And I don't think after 10 p.m. I've ever stayed outside home. My mom always had like, nope, you're 25, I don't care. It could be 65, you're still going to be home at 10. After we were married, we went and saw Avatar, and it got out at like 11 o'clock or 11.30, and as she leaned over to me, she goes, this is the first time I've ever been out of my house after 10 p.m., and it blew my mind. Like, it, I was like, stop, wait a minute, what? And I, I just remember thinking, like, this is, this is different. So uh, we went for lunch. That was nice. I met her little brother. Uh, and then a couple days later, she she said, "Come back for lunch." And at this time, it, it was we were this was cooking by now. And so I came back, and so this is this, and I'm not you. You have to tell me because some people don't believe that this actually happened. So we were sitting there, and after dinner was over, we sat down for coffee. And her my mom, mom liked him. My mom, mom liked him. She said, "Why could she?" Yeah, uh, because you're not Muslim. No, she liked me because what? Because no. you're not Muslim. I mean, at the time, I wasn't Muslim. No, he wasn't. But you are now? We, I had to. I had to convert to get married. Well, but that so would that be a reason a... why she wouldn't like you. Uh, no, my mom they did, liked him. They did she like me. Him. I know. She liked, and um, I don't think religion is not a big thing in my family. Oh. Um, 
like my mom never wore hijab in her life until maybe a couple of years ago only because she didn't want to do her hair more uh, and my mom is actually half uh, Russian half uh, Arab so she had this kind of like different um, mm. grow like way different way she grew up than like other people in the mm. country um, so she it wasn't like a like a crazy idea to her that I could be seen in American or something like that she liked him as a person she said he seemed she liked that he's more like a child. Uh, for her, it was like, that's an innocent who will never harm my daughter yeah. type of thing. She did, my mom never liked the, like, I'm the man type oh, of thing. Like, the no, I don't want to be with someone like that. And when I spoke Arabic, I remember I spoke with that, you know, farmer accent, right? Which is, the, which is the, that's, that's the colloquial accent. So, like, they, they kept, like, he's speaking our language. Like, imagine I spoke Georgian Southern English, you know what I mean? They, they sat there thinking, oh, it's not... Like, he, they didn't, I, from what I, they really didn't know what to make of me, to be honest with you. So, like, it was confusing for them. But at the same time, I tried to be as genuine as possible. So, we're sitting there having coffee, and her mom went in the other room. And we're sitting there having coffee, and in, in, in a moment of, like, you know, 20-something passion, I, it just came out. And I looked at her, and I said, I, I would you. marry you right, huh? I love no, you. No, <laughs> I love you the day before. This was, I'd marry you right now if I could. And right away, she snapped back, like, me too. But that was followed by, and see, here's the thing. It was followed by 45 seconds of about si of silence. And that was the weird, it's like neither one of us said anything afterwards. And it was in that silence that we both kind of realized, I think, that we actually wanted to do this. And then the next thing that came out of, um, the next thing that came out of my mouth was, was like, so. I guess we're engaged now. I guess we're engaged now. And then she said. Get down on your knee. And it was off in the other room. And she and I was like, okay. And my mom said, like, yeah, right. Yeah, and then my mom came back and sat down. And she's like, and in this wonderful motherly way, she sat down. She's like, all right, explain to me what you think is going to happen, right? Yeah. And I was like, I I would like to marry your daughter. And she's like, all right, all right. And then, but then we had this, and it's the religion talk. And, and my was, mom, like, was that uh, realistic voice in this, because we were, like, both like, oh, we're in love, we're going to go get married tomorrow, and we're going to live happily ever after. My mom was like, slow down. Things doesn't work like this. Right. So the, the, she said immediately, she's like, Andy, there, this isn't going to work, if, because remember, it's, there's, you got to remember two things. There's the tribal element of this, and there's the religious. Yeah. The religious element really doesn't keep us apart, as long as... One, we both have to be Muslim for the, for this to be religiously okay. Then and I, and oh. by that point, and to be very honest with you, like I, at that by that point, like, and it, I know this sounds crazy, she's my religion at this point. So I really didn't care at a certain like at, at, at this point. And I kept thinking of like, well, if it's you know what I mean, if like one of us goes to heaven and one of us goes to hell, if we're in the same religion, at least we'll be in the same place together. That really was my logic to the whole thing. And so I said, oh yeah, she's like Andy you're going to have to become a Muslim. And my answer to her was, like, right now? Like, I was like, like right now? She's like, no, stupid. We're going to go to court. And I was like, like, and I said, I remember I asked her, I was like, yeah. like, tomorrow? And she's like, no, you need to sit and think about this, silly. Yeah, like, I she kept to think about it first before doing something because I didn't know his family. I didn't know what to expect. Like, I don't want the family to be like, she took our kid and she made him Muslim. Even if we agreed on the way we're going to live our life, we're just going to be normal people. We're going to... We don't really talk about religion in our house. We celebrate Christmas and we celebrate Ramadan. Mm. 
our kids can be whatever they want. They know that, like whatever they choose to be, they will be. But I want him to take his time and think about it and to speak, talk to his family, uh, see what his mom thinks, because I know his mom is very important to him too. And he was just like, want to do it right away? It's like, no, it doesn't, it's not that easy. So my mom came that next, my mom came a couple months later to, to come and say, all right, well, I guess we're going to have to deal with this. So she came and, uh, and, and we had a nice, and it really did start, she, she approved, she said, okay. Her question, I asked her, I was like, is it okay if I convert? She's like, convert from what? And I was like, from Christianity, mom? She's like, well, Andy. She was kind of doing that thing. And then she said something that was really powerful for me. She said, Andy, are you gonna, if you convert, are you going to steal? And I was like, no. She's like, are you going to lie? I was like, no. She said, well, what do I have a problem? Like, Why do I care? And that made me feel yeah. so good about it that, so that we decided to actually go down the path. Now, actually getting married was a big deal. Because we... Yeah, it was a big story like, in the country. The, I'm not kidding. We went down to the courthouse, which is in, in Jordan, like there's civil court, which deals with a lot of, but mostly property issues and, no, and legal issues. No, tell him first when you went to convert because it has to be That's what I'm saying. Court, so yeah. we went to the Sharia court, which is the, the court you have to go to for all things religious. So, so things like um, marriage and conversion and things like this. So we go roll up there they're like idiots. And this is what we're like. We were like, okay, we're going to go in. We're gonna, I'm going to convert to Islam, we're going to get married, and we'll be home by lunch. Like, we had lunch waiting That's at the table for us when we got back. That's like a paper thing, and we'll be done, yeah. Well, the, the, the judge, when we went in front of the judge, the judge was very, very, he was nice, but he said, very, he's like, and he, I remember Why saying something. Why do you want to become Muslim? What's the reason? Is it you want to marry a Muslim girl? Because I guess they see that a lot, and they don't want it to become a pattern. So, so he said, no, um, he wanted to, him to know more history of Islam. Uh, he was he had to answer questions. Tell me what you know about Islam. It's not like I want to be a Muslim. Like oh yeah, you're welcome. They didn't agree on him first time. And I could answer the questions about Islam, but then he was asking me to the history ones, right? But then he was asking me to recite things, and I couldn't. No. I couldn't. Do, he's like, how do you pray? I had no idea. And he so, so many times a day you pray. How like these things? And he didn't know. I didn't know. He was really nice about it. Like he tried to be nice about it. But then when he said no, and then when we left, my friend was trying to explain to me what the what the the judge was telling him because I had to have a witness. And he was saying, Andy, it's a it's a religion, not a country club. They're not just gonna roll like, oh, okay, come on in. Yeah. So he said the the judge said if he can come back and he can recite what's called the Fatiha, which is their testament to faith. He said if he can come back and recite this, all right, then then all right, I'll give him a shot. There you yeah. go. And I went home, and I had so many friends that just, because they were very, they came over it, and they made me memorize it. And I memorized it, and I went back, and I recited it for him, and he said, and he smiled, and he was like, all right, and, and they did it. Wait, so how long like, did it take oh, before the first time and the second time you went to court? The first time, it was about three or four days. It, okay. it, it really was, he's like, you, he's got to come back with something more than just, I want to be a Muslim. It doesn't work that way. He couldn't say, what we found out later is, and you're, in Islam, technically, he couldn't really say, as long as I do a couple of things, there's technically he couldn't say no, but he was trying to say, look, we, you it's better for you if you do know these things. And so I had no problem. I believe for political reasons, they become more and more careful about these things, why people want to become yeah. Muslim, where they have no interest in it. If you don't know how times to pray, it's more than five times a day because each one of them have a different number. And they're so, different. Uh, the one in the morning, how many times you pray. Or how many rakha you There's pray. cycles. Yeah. You know? Like, everybody knows that. Oh, it's five times. Like, okay, so how many times in the morning? How many times in the afternoon? Yeah. Because yeah, like, I didn't what know that. Four, the afternoon is four. 
the, the evening is six and one is eight and we didn't know. So then we went to another judge who was supposed to be the one to marry us and I showed him my certificate like it was some kind of like rewards my card or something. We're all in there. And the first one didn't even, he looked at, he was, mad, he was the mad at us. Like he, and, and what we found he out there, you too. explained the tribe part. You have to explain the tribe part. So, unfortunately, we walked there and I had to put a cover because walking to Shabiana Court, I had to wear something. So, we walked in there asking for the normal thing people wants to do because it's all right. And the judge looked at me and he said, and he actually looked at my mom and he said, you're out of your mind. And my mom was like, what? He said, and rudely, like, like rudely, like, like it took them aback. Like that was when I got like, concerned, but I was like, they're reacting really weird to this. Yeah, like he said no, but like in a mad way. And we like, couldn't figure it out. Of, like shame on you, thing. like how you even think about something like this. You're from this tribe, you're from this big family, and your mom from this big family, and you're coming here to marry an American. He was like yelling at me, and I was like, yeah, and he said, how did you meet? On the internet? On chat rooms? And I'm like, no, no, it's not like that at all. We know each other. Mm-hmm. And, and we would try to explain. He cut us off. Like, he, was, he didn't want to hear it. said, um, um, your time is over. Your time is done. And we literally were kicked out. So my mom got mad, and that was beautiful. So but here's the thing. We need her to get mad. It really pissed her off. Yeah. And so that was, at a certain point, it became, oh, well, we're going to watch this. You know? Like, question in my my choices and my mother way to raise me like how dare you you bring an american and you're from this big family but i don't care about this big family i want to be with this person but love was not was not in the room or in the discussion for them it's just like one plus one equals two that has to be done because what if your cousin uh, from like your tribe want to come here and marry you they will destroy this whole court for me he was scared it's what we found so See, this is the thing, is then we went to court number two, and they did the same no, thing, a little more public. No, we went to get uh, the lawyer. So we went and got, that's right. We, my mom went and it got was a lawyer. Home, dude. Yeah, right? so first we got that lawyer, uh, he was very strong, and he was kind of religious too, that's religious, so we ha- had to cover, my mom had to cover, and Andy had to explain to him, and we were just honest, like we two people went to marry, and... Um, we're not playing games, it's not a green card type of thing because that judge sounded like I just want to get off to America and be this bad girl who can do whatever she wants because that's what he had in his mind. And he's like, no. And my mom said, actually, I, uh, I'm, uh, my, the only thing my mom asked for to allow us to get married that we have to live in Jordan for five years. She said, you can't marry her and take her away right away. I need to get to know you. Yeah. Uh, very well before you just take my daughter and go. I'm not gonna allow that. So and I agree. The, yeah. So when the lawyer heard that, um, he kind of took our side and he said, "I will take care of this." And from there. <laughs> so then we went to another court and they were a little bit nicer, but the judge said, "Okay, fine. All right, I'll think about it." But where's her father? And remember, father estranged. And by that time, he had had a stroke and he yes. wasn't capable. He was not of, in my life. He wasn't in her life. Yeah. So that judge was he he had to work around. He's like, all right, well, if you're not gonna bring. Sorry, I can't. If the father is not here, I, there's nothing I can do. Bring your oldest brother. Bring your oldest brother. So then we came back with the oldest brother. No, my oldest brother was not in the country. Oldest brother wasn't in the country, so he we was brought. Working in uh, in a different country. Uh, he was working with um, the UN at mm-hmm. the time, mm-hmm. and he, there's no way he can come overnight. Like come back, he has a schedule. He works 
no, it's not going to work. So then we brought the younger brother. That wasn't good enough. Then we brought the uncle. That wasn't good And we could figure out that they were trying. They did not want. Nobody wanted us no, to do this. No, they didn't want us to do Wow. So then the, the lawyer was like, let's do one more. So we went to this one, one more court. And that judge was having a bad day or something because he did the same thing. But this time he did it to the lawyer. And oh, even the even the tea, the guy who brings the tea start jawing at him. You know what I mean? And the Lord, I've never seen a brown skinned man get so red in my life. He was pissed off. And the guy, he, and I remember he came. They 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 were like, all right, go in there and answer this question. So the judge asked me a question about Islam, and I, I got four words out of my mouth. And the judge said, I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear it. And then I remember the lawyer is like, this guy doesn't want. To. Andy, go. Let's go. And so he pulls me out of there, and I remember we were walking in the car, and he's mumbling to himself, like, don't just put up the door. He's mad. He's so mad, yeah. And they dropped us off at, at, at Noreen's house, and she's like, all right, stay by the phone. I'm going to call you. Yeah. And so, like, at 4 or 5 o'clock, he calls, and he's like, get in the car, come to my house, yes. be here at 5, 5 o'clock. Yeah. I, and I didn't know this, but I knew something was up when all of a sudden there was... Know. They he ran into the other room and put on their job to, to cover and dress well, uh, and my mom too. So I was like, okay, I don't know who we're meeting with, but sure. Meanwhile, I have no idea what's going on, yeah. and my Arabic is about second grade level at this point. So I'm, I had this kind of like look on my face all the time, but like I don't know what's going on. So then we walk, we go to the lawyer's house, and we walk in this room. In this room, it's like dark. And the, the gentlemen who were in there who were smoking cigarettes, so there was this kind of like... No one was smoking Or, no, the lawyer was. The lawyer was. The lawyer was smoking. So there was this kind of like um, fate. There was like this haze. And then in there are two full-on sheikhs, which means full like, headdress, big, long beards, like Saudi Arabia, like exactly, exactly what you would expect. And I was like, oh, my God. And, you know, I mean, I was really nervous about like, what's going on. And I was like, well, thank God Noreen's here. And I turned around, and she was gone because they she couldn't. They asked me to leave. I'm not allowed was... to be in the same room. So there I am sitting there with this guy. And luckily, one so of them, oh, my God, one of them spoke English. And so they were trying to talk to me. What well, we found out there, there were Salafis, yeah? Not Salafis. Salafis, but like, like Afwan. Like They're Afwan. Yeah. Sure. So they were Muslim brothers. I mean, they were they were really super uber religious people. But in, 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 remember what I said, tribe and religion, your social capital does come with one of yeah. those two things. And so these men being uber religious had a lot of cachet. You know, that's why the lawyer brought them in. And so they sat down listening to me and they were very sweet. They were the nicest men. I They changed my entire interpretation of Islam in that meeting because they were genuinely sensitively asking. They said, they apologized. They said, they said, Mr. Andy, I'm very sorry for even asking you this, but we we really do need to ask about how you feel about Islam and why you converted to Islam oh, and what's in your heart. If we are going to help you, you need to explain to us why you should. And I remember telling them, like, I, at that point, I can barely remember what came out, but whatever it was, they smiled. I mean, they were genuinely happy with, I, I've been talk, I talked about you know, the kids I had met that were Muslims and who would talk to me about Islam and try to, you know, convert me when I was their teacher. And, and I remember thinking that they were genuinely doing it because they loved me. You know, they liked me and they wanted me to be with them. And they I remember, knew you were a good person, like leaving your country, United States, to come to the village of Jordan to do Peace Corps. They thought like that was a very kind and generous thing to do for a young man, to teach our kids here to like English and help them. That was itself like you're already doing a great thing to the country without even being Muslim. You're not, you know. 
So at one point he had said, I said, okay, well, are you ready? And then they brought you back in and we sat there next to each other. And she was looking at the floor, like, and we're sitting, but we, and I was looking at the floor. But like, these, you know how, like, there's some people, they just have gravitas. Like, they just have, these were substantive men. And I, and I remember, I've never been so intimidated by two people in my life. And, they, and at the end of the conversation, they were asking her questions and me questions about our relationship. And they, and did they ask us if we had ever been together? They were asking us, like, they were trying to ask about our level of intimacy without, Absolutely. Without asking, so they were like, "Have you ever been alone together?" And we were like, "No." no. And, and they were like, "Have you ever?" You know, I mean, these these types of you know questions. They were trying to find out: Are we trying so hard to get married because something wrong happened? Something and happened, and we're trying to rush. Wrong. What I mean, because Arab Muslim girls expected to be virgin until the day they uh, get married, so they wanted to. That was the last thing to question: Is that why? Mm. Like you mistake, and you want to cover it. It was like, absolutely not. And then I remember they asked me, they said, are you ready to assume the responsibilities of being a husband? And without even thinking about it, I said, bemut, which means till death. And they, they smiled the biggest smile ever. And they realized, I think that they realized that we were just a couple of kids who really loved each other that just wanted to be here. And then, so and then, you went in the right way because and we went, you could talk off to Lebanon and just married on paper there without religion, without anything, and tell the whole country, this, like, but so we don't care about you, but we did our best to do it the right way, so they should help us. And so, and they came back, and later they said that to me, they said, when you kept coming back is when we realized that you were doing it for the right reason. There is a key part to this, too. Between court visit two and court visit three, she had to go get emancipated from her father, which in Jordan, had that law had only been in place from Queen Rania. How long had that been around where you could actually even do that? Where you can get to, like, separate from your father. Yeah, it uh, wasn't long. It was like a year. Like, she's one of the first people in Jordan to actually emancipate herself from, yeah. use the law, emancipate. And even then, they didn't want to do it. And what we found they out... down on me, yes. When I bring the subject in the court, or I tell the judge, uh, yeah, I don't have a relationship with my father. He was not a good father. Uh, that's not even something you can even say. Like, how dare you? He's your father. Even if he was not a good father still, he's your father. You can't say these things. You can't uh, try to have a life without your father's approval. And I remember I didn't know any of this stuff was going on. I, I didn't understand any of this. Like, uh, this is all, I all found out this later. Like, they were telling us later that they were making phone calls everywhere trying to find a legal justification why they could say no. And they couldn't. That's the thing. That they, he, that they kept going through, like, what they said was, is like, you kept going through the steps. Here, let me make sure you can see the rain a little bit. Um, thank you. They, kept, they said you kept going through the steps we couldn't say no like you kept coming back yeah um and so the the they said okay so then we're sitting there with them and i'm not making this up the two shakes they pull out a cell phone and they, remember that first judge that was really rude to us and said no they called him up and they proceeded to chastise him like he was an eight-year-old and i remember him I remember that they are on on like uh, on a higher level because he's a Sharia judge. They are higher than him. That's an important thing. These men, they had no elected office. They weren't government officials. These were just really, really religious people. Respected. And they called a yeah. they called a judge. And I'm not kidding. Like he, he kept saying that uh, you could hear him, and it was so bad. You could hear this man scrambling to try and explain <laughs> himself. <laughs> And he's like, oh, whoa, whoa, sir, sir, I'm so sorry. 
And this guy was like, he's like, who are you asking? And the problem was that the guy had asked why I became a Muslim. And in Islam, you're really not allowed to inquire as to, you know, it's my heart and God, it's not you. So when they asked me that, they had broken a rule. And so he's yelling at me, he's like, who the hell do you think you can ask this guy? And then he's like, shut up, I don't want to hear it. And he hung up on a judge. Yeah. And, and remember, I don't know any of this right now. So all I hear is two Arab men screaming at each other. And I don't understand. And, but, and the lawyer is there going, tell him I'm here. Tell him I'm here. You know, and they had to hold him back. It was just, it was funny. And they said, okay, go home and we're going to call you tomorrow. And then the next day they called. Um, they said, get ready. We got in the car. And they, they took us to a refugee camp, court. So here's what happened is between that night and the next day, the whole, the case went all the way to the Supreme Court of the country. That's how high they appealed. They all appealed all the way up. But we had those two sheikhs advocating for us. But we have to go there. So and the, meet so, with the biggest one there. And we had to meet with them, and they were trying, and that was scary. Like, that was scary. Yeah. And and the lawyer and the judge was like, all right, whatever. And so our marriage certificate is signed by the Supreme Court of yeah. the country. Because no one because no one wanted to say yes. And just to show you how much their their solution to the problem was take them to the most out of the way court that you can find with the youngest judge that we know. And just go and we'll, we'll shame him into doing it. And I'm not kidding. We walked into this judge's office. And this is in a refugee camp. That's how far we had to go. In the Palestinian refugee camp. And I remember in this judge's office, those two sheikhs went behind the desk and stood over this guy's shoulder and said, sign here, sign here. Salaamu alaikum, I'll see you later. And then we went in the other room and they said, congratulations. And we're like, why? And they're like, you're married now. I'm like, shut up, really? Yeah. And and that's how, um, yeah, and that's how that that happened. And 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 from that point on, that we had our marriage uh, a little while later, um, and it went. But I'm. But the, the the crazy thing is, and we found this out only a few years ago, is that not long after that, the parliament changed the law so that you had to be a Muslim for a year, a year before, before you could marry. In and we don't know for a fact that it was us, but we're going to tell our daughters that till the day we die, because that was too coincidental. And at any one of this point, like, that's, by the end, I think we said, we talked about this a lot, that at any point we could have bailed, and that we kept that coming actually, back. And yeah, that was actually my family, uh, they looked at Andy completely different after his because he stayed, and he kept going back, and he kept trying, so he was like, stick to his words and that's what he wants because my mom said I was through the whole time waiting for him to say well this is not working I'm leaving and she was thinking like that might like in her head might be like kind of relief for me mm. because she was I'm gonna someday I'm gonna come to the country here like United States I'm gonna leave her uh, so for her she wasn't like yeah she loved me she loved Andy but with all the mess happening I don't think it's a good idea but for him staying, like sticking around and do the whole thing, she was like, he must be really loves you. What? No, we were busy. We're talking about Well, we found out later. And remember how I said the tribe was a big part of this too? So what they told us later was that it, what the judges weren't necessarily doing it for religious reasons. No. What they told us later was that they were actually, because the one of the older brothers sat down with me because I was really... I was really, really frustrated, and I, was, I got really mad, and I kept saying, well, why don't we just, I'll just take her to America, we'll get married, we'll come back, and the brother, the, the brother started giggling, he's like, all right, Andy, listen to me, 
you need to sit down for a minute. And he proceeded to tell me, he's like, listen, Andy, we like you. We really do love you. And we really do want you to marry her. But you got to understand that if if one of our cousins doesn't approve of this, we don't have the, way or it's done. the first thing. Yeah, it, the way it's done. There's nothing we can do about it. We can't do it. So you have to go through this. Andy, you have to do this. And then he said something that really resonated, and he was trying to be polite, but he, I knew what he was saying. He's like, look, and Andy, if you take her off to America and marry her without our permission, he said this, he's like, we don't have a choice. And he said, and we would come get her. And I knew what that meant. Come get her means like, and he said, and he said, and he was saying, and it wouldn't be, and he was trying to like, it wouldn't be us. It would be another member of the tribe whose honor you have offended by taking her. So Andy, if you love her, you got to keep doing this. Or leave her alone. Or leave her alone. Yeah. And I kept, I kept coming back. And yeah. so what we found later was all of these judges were really not, they were saying no because they were really, really, especially because her father wasn't there. They were really afraid that if someone in the tribe found out that they let her do that, that they would they wouldn't blame us because we did everything right, that they would take it out on the uh, judge. And that's the lawyer was trying really hard to explain this. Like you gotta understand that there's a system and you gotta and we And tribal um law is a huge issue. Huge, huge, huge. Tribal law supersedes the civil law by far. Yeah. By far. So that's that's, that's but then even heard. but even that, like I was still living in Israel. Um, six months for six months. So our the first six months of marriage we spent apart, and I would come. I cross, and this there's a it is to get romantic. That's the most heavily fortified border in the world, and I would cross that border every weekend to go to to, to go to my. It's and on a map, it's only about twenty miles apart. Because you can take a bus, so it should only really be twenty miles. But because that border is there, it's a five-hour journey to get through all of that, and that's what I would do at, on Fridays. I'd leave and I, I, you know, I'd get on the bus and go see uh, and go see Noreen, and then on Sunday I would go back and be miserable for a week, and then we see each other again. Yeah. Um, and then what, what else? And then, and then you got a job in Jordan. Then I got a job in Jordan got teaching. A house we got an apartment and uh, a year later, Yasmina came and then I got a job working at King's Academy. Two years later. Uh, okay. Two years working at King's we Academy. We lost our first baby. We had a miscarriage the first time. Um, and then, um, you know, we lived there for a while and then we came here and uh, we were just this kind of, we had Miriam uh, a couple years after that and we're a, Miriam's name is is a peace offering from Noreen to our family because Miriam is the is the is the mother of Jesus and she's in both religions. Right. So he's in Islam as well. So she, that was the, she said, well, let's name her Miriam as a, as an offering of seed. We can we can still have the same you know thing. And it was a beautiful. My family w- was very touched by that, and that and that's when this kind and of we love the name Miriam. And we love the name Miriam. Too. So there you go. Yeah. So romantic. <laughs> so, but it's just, so romantic. See, I, I always like people like so hard to meet, and I'm like, sit down. And you have to because all of the if you don't understand that, it doesn't. None of this, the the, you know, the the strength that is required for us to overcome. Like I, what I would assume you want to know is like all the cultural things and all of the different, you know, the different backgrounds. The only way we can do that is we genuinely have to know that we love each other, and that's the. And from that point on, we realized, because if we could get through that, we realized, we've said this over and over, if we could do that, we can do anything. So we've been, like, this yeah. cult, even this, like, we're in lockdown in Los Angeles, and we're sitting here and be like, yeah, but, you know, we got married, so, you know, could be worse. So, I mean, that's, that's our, 
that's our thing. And like every marriage, we go through ups and downs too. But but if it starts like that, then you know everything else is easy. It's a commitment. Wait, how is your mother now, Noreen, with you being here? She's she's fine. She's okay with it. Uh, she would love for us to move closer. If it's not back to Jordan, but she understands that uh, the kids are, they build a life here, they have friends here, um, education is better here. So she understands that. She's not a selfish person who's going to be like, no, I want you to come live close to me. She understands as long as I promise her, we're going to come back soon, we're going to visit, because she doesn't want to visit here. Right. She wants us to go back. And That's a big thing too. Yeah. So like all of our future plans are do have that element in it of, of because you know we send money back home every month and then we, we try to take care of her and so like all of our future plans evolve. You know how do we how do we get you know how do we we take care of her mother as well. So um, the relation I would say the relation is really good. I love her. I kiss her on the forehead. It's fantastic. She didn't have to say yes. That's the biggest part about all this, and I've said this to her a number of times. She did not have to say yes to any of these things. And she has never asked me for anything. She's never asked for any sort of support. She's never asked for any clarification of how I feel or anything like that. She's just accepted, you know, the two idiot kids that sit in her living room and said we're going to get married. And she's like, respected our choices. All right. She, but she's always respected our choices. And that's something that you can't say for all parents, especially in, 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 yeah, in really rigid social structure. So I, at a certain point, we kind of said to ourselves, you know, well, I'm pretty sure this must be our fate because it's too crazy to be like random. It's got to be, you know, so we take that. We always, the Arabic word is nasib, which means destiny. Mm -hmm. And uh, we, every once in a while that just kind of comes out like, uh, you know, why did that happen? We just kind of go nasib. Yeah. yeah. Like every. So. When did you say I love you? Because it's, I have the picture of what color is your favorite color, mountains, ocean, mm -hmm. and then how did that evolve into, hey, we should get married? What was the in-between? So that's tricky. In Arabic, there is no word for like. In Arabic, there yeah. is only love and hate. It's a bipolar. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. So... I was trying to express to her how I felt. I went to the words in Arabic that I knew how to say, and she would say it back to me, and then it just kind of evolved into that. And then I don't know that we ever had a moment in which I said, I love you. I think at a certain point, we just translated to each other what we were trying to say, and it ended up being love. I mean, love, oh, this is romantic. That was the word we used even from the very beginning. So. Love was there from the beginning, even if we weren't really sure of the How words we were supposed to be using. If it, you know what I mean? But because we kept saying it to each other, because we didn't have any other words in Arabic to use, and so that was. Uh, I would say we just um, let it be. We didn't do yeah. so much like I'm gonna think about what I'm gonna say next, or should I, it was too early to say like I love you or something like that. Mm. I was just being me, and he was just being himself, and. We didn't really think much of what to say and when to say. Like I thought, I saw that question. And I, I remember thinking, like, I don't remember when one of us said it. I really don't. Like, I, I it wasn't that. It, it was just we feel like we didn't have time. We were too busy trying to figure out the 99 percent of the other stuff we were saying <laughs> that we didn't just went to the words we knew, and that one of the heb, which is an Arabic for love, was just the word we knew, and it just was there from the. I would say from the very beginning. Yeah. Well. You hadn't, you'd never spent time really alone. So when you started living together, 
were there adjustments? Because that's a yeah. big switch. <laughs> but when we got married, I tell people this, and they have a hard time. But by the time we got married, when we actually said marriage and we signed the certificate, we had spent maybe like 14 hours total in each other's presence. The rest of the time over text. Yeah. Uh, that's so like that. And then so from that point on, I think the honeymoon was the first time that we really kind of... A week? Like a week, yeah. Like a, and but when we lived together, when we had our own place and we're a family, now we're living together. Yeah, it was different. Um, what but the, the hard... But like we just had no choice but to like, well, we're living together. And then, yeah. Well, what were the um, issues? Like um, who does housework or rhythms? Like who sleeps yeah. when? Or so we, in two, and we were thinking about it. Like so the for, stuff. for us... Um, Maybe the way I grew up with seeing my mom is the one who's doing everything. I thought I am, um, I was like growing up doing the same thing with my mom. So I was kind of start doing everything like cleaning, cooking, um, take the car to be fixed and stuff like that because I was, I grew up with a woman who was very independent and I didn't ever ask him to do anything. And we didn't really, it never bothers me when I have other people comment saying like, yeah, but why Andy couldn't uh, take the car? Because he doesn't speak the language. Uh, I do, I know like how to take the car to be, uh, to change oil or something like that. Um, there, was a lot of, there was a lot of things of she just did them. And so you do these, th you do this thing where you're thinking to yourself, is this a cultural thing? You know what I'm saying? Is this like a cultural thing? So that you don't say anything. And then, so it just kind of evolves, and that that's what I mean, and then because slowly also, we learn that, oh, I, she doesn't necessarily like to clean all the time, and I'm like, Also, oh. in Middle East culture, uh, it's not normal to ask your husband to go wash the dishes or something like that, and for me, I never thought about asking him, not because um, I'm a woman and he's a man, because I, I can do it, I can do it all, I'm doing everything, and I remember first time I started feeling... That's no, that's not okay. When I got pregnant, I was started and tired and stuff. Then I said to him, like, oh, I, would, I need you to help. And he was like, I'm happy too. Just let me yeah. know what you want me to do. Because every time he tried to do something, I would start him right away, like, no, this is not how I clean the kitchen. No, this is not how I do it. Like, it has to be my way because it's my house. It's the woman thing to do. That's the Middle Eastern mentality was like stuck with me and that was a big thing in terms of cultural stuff that was if you want to know what one of the major issues was it was things that le got left unsaid because we both assumed that it was a cultural yeah element of the other so like when yeah. she when i didn't and we didn't want to offend each other by so so when she would do the housework and i would say no honey i got it she's like no no no, no i got it i got it i would feel like oh she is going to take it as an insult to her you know wifely duties if i tried it so then i would Sit to the side, and then, but at the like, same time, like, what do you mean you're gonna cook? My cook is not good enough. You want to do it? See? Like that type of thing, not because like I want to rest today. Maybe you turn to cook. You know, I'm not from. I'm from the Midwest. You know, like we we don't want to bother. We just we don't want to bother anybody. You know. And, and his mom was clear. She said, "Make him do the laundry or something." <laughs> I was like, first thing, I was like, "Why is she saying that?" But now I understand. And it, as time went on, we just started to figure things out. Like and like, oh. She doesn't like to sweep the house all day. Like, huh. You know, and then I would like volunteer for it sometimes. And and we still have it similar to the way it started, but with much, much more of a she does she, I don't think you're afraid of assigning me tasks and no, I'm not afraid I learned, of I learned with, with the years and with the kids and with everything. I literally um, 
maybe learned how to say how I feel more mm-hmm. without thinking about I'm going to offend the person because we're a family, we're a big family now, we're a family of four. So I told him um, when I'm going to ask for help, uh, he mostly put the kids in bed. Uh, I do the cleaning, uh, he will do the beds, uh, he will read the for the kids before bed. Um, that time, like he will take care of entertaining the kids. Yeah. And for me, that's the time I would like take a break by like do being in the kitchen, doing my own thing. So it kind of worked without even like setting a schedule for it. When we when the when the girls got to that you know not baby anymore, but that kind of you know toddler bedtime story stage. Then it started, the roles got much more defined. Oh, yeah. okay, daddy does bedtime stories. Daddy and, play with me. And with me. daddy yeah. plays, daddy, you know what I'm saying? And when that happened, then it became a much more, okay, now we kind of have an idea of, of kind of where to go. With it. Yeah. That's what it seemed like to me, too. Yeah. So, Noreen, if you work at night and sleep during the day, how do you, how do you make time for family? That seems really difficult. Well, I only work two days a week at night because of the pandemic and the kids are home. So I didn't want to lose my job and just be home. Um, so not two. So I decided to take two night shifts overnight. So I would come home. Uh, so the rest of the week, the whole week, I'll be home um, during the day for them online uh, schooling because he's teaching at the same time. So there's no way he can help them. So I come home at 7 in the morning, I sleep, uh, I put the kids on their Zoom, everything, I stay up uh, with uh, with Mayim a little bit. My oldest, Yasmina, she can take care of herself, she doesn't need my help at all. But my little one, because she's first grade, um, I just sleep for a couple of hours, um, wake up, make sure homework is done, lunch is done, everything's done. And around 4 or 5, I will take another nap. And it's only two nights. So it's not that bad. I mean, I can ha- I still have like Saturday. I can sleep all day. Yeah, and yeah. that's what be teaching and, and doing all of these things too. And that like, happened because of the pandemic. Because I, it's better than not than losing my job. We're reevaluating our existence in Los Angeles, yeah. to be honest with you, because the, this it, it has forced us to like everyone had to adjust to COVID, and the adjustment that we we had made is that if she goes nights. We're grateful. We for can that. maintain it. We're, we are grateful. Like, it, yeah. she can, we can still maintain an income that is similar to what we had before in a very expensive city. And, um, but it, it, it did take, at the beginning, it was a little rough because it was, we weren't, we weren't, you know, we, I would, we, I'd sleep by myself and she'd come home and then she'd go to sleep and we would Especially always. Especially when someone's taking a vacation and I have to end up covering a whole week overnight. That was too it's much. It's like every night And again, she's me gone. not to know, not know how to say no to some things, even if I'm the one who's getting tired or sick or something. But also that was one of my 2021 uh, changes things I have to make uh, when I do want to do something I'm gonna say no and I did talk to my manager directly I assigned for two nights I'm only doing two nights I can do more I have family yeah mm-hmm. um, Andy this is kind of a footnote but I'm interested it in this generation X I mean Z students that people say that they're increasingly anxious depressed um, Generation mm-hmm. Y was said to be fragile teacups, helicopter parents control them so they don't know how to deal with challenges. What, what, what kind of changes have you seen in teens that, since you've been teaching? Really? Massive. Massive. Uh, almost, I would say between millennials to, I call them Gen Z, um, that is going to be a big 
change. Um, millennials, to, to my millennial students that I've had in the years, they do fit the stereotype somewhat. I mean, I'm not trying to be, you know, I don't want to like I paint with such a broad brush, but there are some of those that fragility that you mentioned, the, you know, the the, the notion that their their entire existence has to play to a narrative that they have in their head. If it doesn't, if it, you know, what I mean, it doesn't. They get they get really upset and, and anxious and things like that. What I would say about Generation Z though is that. You know, every generation is a reaction somewhat to the one that came before. And the difference with the, the kids now, and, I'm, and I've said this to a lot of people, there's a book that just came out, and it was it was supposedly about millennials, but I don't, I, this isn't the, I, it, that would be the generation I would apply it to. The title of the book was um, The Ones We've Been Waiting For, and I've got, they are infinitely more capable than we are. And, and I mean that in the nicest way, in that they are much more driven by data-based answers to their questions. Um, they're much less likely to, to not necessarily distrust authority, but they're not going to just take it your word for it. They're going to fact check you, you know, they're going to fact check you as they do it. Um, they're um, just, you know, if you call them woke. I mean, woke implies you were at one time sleeping. This generation woke, woke, if that makes sense. I mean, they woke, they, they came out woke. and. <laughs> That they're, if there's any downfall that they have is that they're that some of that anxiety that you're seeing is really really a confusion and I mean this sincerely that I've, and I've thought about this over the past few days and I and I've actually addressed it with them a lot of that confusion is excuse me a lot of that anxiety they have is genuine confusion as to why their parents are so anxious and to why their older peers are so anxious a lot of that anxiety is the reflection of what they're seeing and they can't understand necessarily why that is and and. Teenagers, they're fragile. I mean, they're fragile anyway. And but, you know, and especially in this generation where you're, they're increasingly saying, "Well, prove it. How do you? Yeah, how do you know that? Can you show me? Show me? Show me where it says that." And and you know, the generation that came before can't, and now they're confused by that. And so, but what I've started to see, and COVID was a biggie, when they noticed that the people weren't following what the science was saying. And that we've told them since they were born, do whatever the science tells you. And they've noticed that we're not doing that. What I've noticed is not necessarily an anger, but I've noticed in the past year an unbelievable acceleration of their maturity. Rapid, rapid, rapid. Because they, they do understand the consequences of it. They understand that grandma is not might not be at next Thanksgiving. They understand that that they can't go to school. They're they're mad at us, to be honest with you. My thing is that, that ain't, they're really pissed off at the adults, to be honest with you. And I, to be honest, I've found that to be one of the most encouraging things to come out of this, is that they really, really, they're going to realize very quickly that the world, you know, we've told them, sorry, it goes back to how we met, but they, we've, they, we've told them for the, from the, since they were born, they're going to be the future leaders of the world, yet we conveniently forgot to tell them what that looks like. Yeah. The, gen the millennials said, well, then I'll tell you what it looks like. This generation says, well, then we're going to do what the data tells us. And you can be quiet and watch Netflix and we'll do it. I am I'm more proud. And you, so, no, you chime in too because Noreen worked, when we looked at the dorm, Noreen interacted with these students every day too. This isn't just a casual observance. Like we saw them in the dorms. We saw them where they lived. Yeah. They're not impressed with the adults. And, that, and to be honest with you, that includes me too. And I'm, I'm cool with it, you know? I really am. I'm. You know what? Good. Get. They're mad. They're activists. They're. They're trying really hard. The climate thing is going to be. 
Greta Thunberg is a, is going to be a monumental moment because when she said, when she gave that speech about this is your fault, you did this to us, and now we're going to have to pay for it. I promise you, every teenager knew exactly what she was talking about, and they're they're equally angry. And yesterday is no is the same thing. I mean, Wednesday is the same thing. There, it just seems to me that they're they're really ticked off that the people that are supposed to have a better understanding of how to do this don't. And I, I think what you're going to see the people that we're supposed to learn from don't know what they're doing. So we're just going to take care of it. And I think that's why you're seeing young, kids younger and younger doing startups. Kids younger, yeah, we're pushing them, but they're they're doing it. I mean, it's one thing to say do STEM. It's another to have a kid say we're going to do it on our own. And they're doing it. So I'm just to get, I'm sorry. You you asked me about something I'm really fired up about. No, I feel the I, same way. I, I am more enthusiastic about this ge- younger generation of, of children than I've ever seen in my entire life because because they're they are really it's not disillusioned. You know, it's, it's, all right, that's enough now. I mean, that's what it seems, maybe not always, but, the, but COVID was a biggie that the, my students are angry now. They're, they're like, we're, that's enough of this. We're going to take over. And, and I would say, you know, I'd say that's, that's true for the students I've worked with. And I'd say that's the same. Even your little brother is like that too. Like, oh, that's enough. Like it's the old generation doesn't get it. And that acceleration is just. I, I just finished a book about climate girls saving our world, where I interviewed mm-hmm. climate girl activists around the world. I'm going to send it to you because you'll love it. And that's Good. exactly what they said. We're angry. We're going to have to do it. But we're pissed that you took our teenage fun years away from us. We have to be doing these Zoom that, meetings all the time. You robbed, us, you robbed us of our childhood thing. That, that's what I got to. Yep. Wow. Well then, so you're saying because the studies show this these teens in the U.S., U.K., and then I my client girls said that they were hearing that in their countries as well, and I had 31 countries involved in the book that that they're increasingly anxious. People like Jean Twingy say it's because of their social media and they compare themselves and somebody is more popular than me but i think that trivializes it i I think they have a lot of pressure on them in this economy and it's about all their pressures not just who's popular on instagram that who put on them see that's the thing too is like i I got these students and their parents are raking them ram nine aps into their curriculum of things they don't want to do there's so much expected of them and then when they come to that conclusion like you're expecting all of this from us and you're not doing any of the things that you said you were going to do and then the big one is like when guys like Elon Musk say we don't need a college degree anymore if you can if you can pass the test we're going to hire you when they start they that's another one too they start to realize that the structures and institutions that we've established for them to be able to gain that social capital at the end of the day don't really mean anything the big social media when they re, when a lot of kids realize that you could bank off of just going on yeah. YouTube. I heard that. The question because why do you, then why do you want me to be a, a civil servant somewhere like YouTube um, influencer? That's something. Yeah. No. Yeah. It's, it's it's things like that. I where the anxiety comes from. I think it's a bit of a cop out to say social media. I do too. It might you said that about millennials. I don't think you can say that because they were born into it. You know, they're used to it. They've seen this before. They, they're this is just reality for them. And so the notion that they could somehow be that their entire you know thing is going to be based on what people necessarily think, 
but they were that was the way it was when they they started it. So that I, I have a hard time believing that 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 phases them as much as me. It, I'll bet it phases us. I'll be real honest with you. I'll, I'll bet it phases us big time. Um, but at the same time, but then look, I'm not a teenager, you know. So I'm I'm, spe- I'm you know I don't want to be speaking for them, but. You know, the idea of screens is a big deal because of the dopamine release that the flashy lights do. And I think so that's part of it. And then I think we ascribe a, I think we're trying to figure out what's causing the behavior. So we're just trying to like throw out there all the possible explanations of things we don't get. And I think the idea of, I think separating screens and flashing lights and sensory overload that comes with screens and video games and all of these, you know, media and all these things. I think sometimes we say, oh, it's social media, that's the problem. When in actuality, it's, it's, it could just be sensory overload. And, and that we are put a lot, what they think they're supposed to do is a lot. And at a certain point, they're going to break. And I don't know if that's helping. And I, as parents, I mean, you can, sorry, you speak to this too, but there's, we had a talk with our daughter yesterday about some of the stuff she's interested in. How old is she now? Your oldest? She's nine. Nine and... Seven. Nine and seven. Nine seven. Yeah, we have to talk to her yesterday about things that um, some like a game she's playing. You become obsessed with that game. That's the only thing you're talking about now. Like you're talking to people who doesn't know your game. So like it's mine, not interesting. Minecraft us. for nine year olds, right? My, oh, Minecraft was the first one. Now uh, Roblox was the next one, and then there's a, there's another one called Friday Night Freddy's that's coming along too. And what we're what the conversation was, we're never going to tell you what you're allowed to like. You know what I'm saying? You may, whatever you but want to do is cool. me to like it. But, you're, but you pull us into other rooms. She gets very, she gets way too emotional about it sometimes. We've had to talk to her about that. Um, she's in that world, and, and that's okay. And we want her to be there, and we want her to make those decisions. But it's a matter of then, okay, but now your behavior is... Your behavior in that world and your behavior in this world are not the same things. And it's that division of reality that I think is more and more important for us as parents as we've gone through. When the computer goes off, what happened in there is not what's happening here. And that's a big, you know, thing. for. And we're we're still trying to navigate that, too, I would say. I feel like we have been doing uh, the best we can. We're doing the best we can. And we don't have nowhere to go. Uh, No play dates, nothing. Uh, we we're like limiting the screen times. Like we can go, like playing board games together. Like go just just go play together. Get some Barbies and play with them. Or like the dolls you have in your room. Whatever. Just play. Figure something out. And when we start doing that, they will find you will find them. They will have to come up with something to play yeah. with. They can entertain themselves and right. they're crying first about like, but I have nothing to do. I was like, we'll figure it out. Um, I feel it's way healthier than just right. them on screen. And here's all day. books, and here's puzzles, right. and here's we can go you for can a walk. And but Gail, there's another thing too about the transition to virtual last year in, in March that goes speaks to your first question because there is one thing: the when we went to all virtual, it was very clear very quickly who was comfortable in this environment and who wasn't. And the children were they exist there all the time. Yeah. They played video games online all the time. It they, was easy for them. They yeah. knew exactly the thing it became really apparent very quickly. They knew exactly how to handle it. <laughs> the and teachers were struggling and the parents. Oh but it's beautiful Gail because <laughs> it immediately they noticed that their parents and their teachers had no idea how to function. And one of the sweetest things I've ever seen is the amount of space and leeway that the children last year and this year have given us 
in terms of their behavior, in terms of their effort level. Um, they're not perfect, of course, but they got, re it was really kind of amazing to watch how patient they were wow. yeah. as, as the adults started to figure out, like, I, we're like, still working something at something I don't know how to do. It's like oh. driving my kids to school and asking them to do their homework. The, I have to set up the computer and be on Zoom, and I don't know how to do that. The, so first time I had to ask Mina to show me how to uh, set up uh, the Zoom mm -hmm. for her sister and how to open the homework at the same time. So for me, it was like, I don't know how to do this. So fine, you'll be the boss today. And the <laughs> They just, they, I, I cried a couple times after class, not because I was sad, but because I was so overwhelmed, inspired by it. They were like, Mr. Lato, it's okay, we're going to be all right, Mr. Lato. Here's what you got to do, Mr. Lato. I'm going to send you a link. Guys, you want to send me a link? And we'll show him how to do this. Mr. Lato, I just sent you an email, this tutorial video about how to share your screen. Okay? And then, like, Timmy chimes in and is like, hey, Mr. Lato, have you tried? Your internet will go out and you come back and your kids will still say. The internet will go out for 15, 20 minutes, at least, like, what, yeah. five, six times, and I would come back, and they would all be there. I don't, yeah. I don't yeah. know what more, when I, remember what I said, the ones we've been waiting for? I'm, Gail, I'm telling you, it's not going to be even close. It's go, the, the left, it's not even that we're going to want to turn responsibility over, that we're, they're going to have to take responsibility it's that we're going to want to very quickly because we're going to see just that stark difference in how ready they are to deal with this and how we're just going to need to go. You know how sometimes parents are, well, I, you know, when I showed my mom the first time how to turn the computer on, it was kind of a weird moment, you know, like, oh, mom doesn't know how to use a computer, but then at the same time, you feel bad. That happened for every student in America at the same time <laughs> to every relationship, adult relationship they had. And their reaction taught, I mean, it taught me, it taught, I would say, it taught us a lot about humanity, to be honest with you, that it was really inspiring. I, I get a lot of, even Wednesday, I got a lot of hope from them. It has nothing to do with me. I, I'm just going to try to hold, keep my head down and not screw anything else up for the rest of my life. But I, in terms of turning stuff over, uh, they're capable, they're really capable kids. And I've heard that from all over the world, older people say, I rely on kids for being my technology teachers. So that's everywhere. You know, how do I use this cell phone? How do I use this? So that, that gives them a lot of confidence. Plus, the fact that older people have screwed up the planet, mm. th th those two together make them really strong, the kids. Also, but also the discourse. See, that was the thing. It was like, we, how do you have a debate on Zoom? Like, I had no clue. Like, how do you replicate the, the things that I know work in the classroom right. on Zoom? The kids set would teach me, like, Mr. Leo, if we want to have a debate, here's what you got to do. You got to do this, this, and this. And then when you do, you have to wait a second so that they can talk. And what they would do is they started to structure, they know how to exist online. They know how to use, you know how you can use the chat on the side. They, they were using it, and they were using hashtags. And then they would explain to us, okay, but Mr. Leo, listen, you got to understand, when you use a hashtag like this, what we use hashtags for, and so... They, they, they knew way better than we did the evolution that has to kind of happen if you're going to do this, and they were really right there. And that's the thing. Is it, it's one thing to rely on it and to show us how to use it. It was quite another to, like, start to teach us how to establish new norms. And I'm um, sorry. You're, you're speaking of something that I'm passionate about. Me and, too. Me too. I'm going to send you that Climate Girls book. You'll, okay. You two will love it. I would love to. Um, you know what I'm also encouraged about is that traditionally young people in the States 
didn't vote as much as older people. But I, I think that's changed since Obama, yeah. maybe, and then this last election. So I think probably young people made the difference in the Georgia runoff with the senator's election. So they're they're voting now, which which is makes me have hope. And they're using their tools. If you remember the Tulsa rally. Right? Remember, the TikTok kids bought yes. up all of the tickets. Yes. The Tulsa rally yes. screwed up the whole thing. Yes. They learned their power really, really, really quickly, and it became this kind of wonderful maturity. The difference, you want my honest opinion between the difference between millennials and Generation Z is about 20 years of maturity. That's my honest description of the difference. Just as fragile, maybe, just as, you know, just as technologically capable, but infinitely a much more mature version, um, perspective on it and what it can do and what it can mean. And they know their power now. And it's a certain point, like I, I say this to every adult, I say this to parents at parent-teacher conferences, you want to mess with them? See how that goes for you, you know? So it's there, you know, pick one. What do you want to do? But on the other hand, we're talking about kids with access to Internet. And then that mm. leaves out like the 80% of people in India who live in villages and they maybe have some kind of little phone, but they're, they're not these sophisticated internet users. Right. And like in the village where you taught when you were in the Peace Corps, that's a whole different right. world. Is that correct? Right. Yes. And they made the point, I remember being in the village at the time and they made that point. They said the difference when you got your first telephone in America in like 1910, you got your first radio in 1920, you got your first TV in 1950, you got your first internet access in 1999. We got, you got your first cell phone in, you know, 20, in the year 2000 or whatever. We got all of that in the span of about five years. And so the point they kept trying to make to us is, is they were like, listen, you got to understand, like you have opened the entire world to a closed society and expected everyone to just kind of handle it like it's cool. You know what I mean? Of course, there's going to be people who react negatively. Of course, there's going to be people who... The world is scary and they lash out. They keep making that point of like, not every kind of like person you call crazy is crazy. They're just scared and don't know what else to do. Yeah. And it's, look, they what, what did the one guy say? He's like, in the span of five years, you've shown us 15,000 new ways to sin. How does a parent, <laughs> like, what is a dad supposed to tell his daughter about TikTok? You know what I mean? If they just got cell phones 10 years before. So they have to get this massive acceleration, and that I don't envy them either, is that how do they develop those norms and things like that, too? Noreen, in, in Jordan, the majority of the population aren't Jordanians, they're Palestinians in refugee camps, is that correct? I would say 50-50, yeah. Not all in refugee camps, though. Oh, you're saying all the... The Palestinian, like, what's the, what's the, what percent is Palestinian in Jordan? I will say 50%. 50% is Palestinian. Yeah. Of the Palestinians, how many of them are in refugee camps, though? Um, so the refugee camps for Palestinians in Jordan is not what you see on TV for Syrians. So it's a whole area built for them. Um, they have their own community, their own houses. It's not like if I want to go rent a house there, I can do that easily. But it's known as, because it's the old name for it. Like if you went there, but, but the, the camps are, they, they were originally those tent camps that you see, but then they just stayed. And the reason they stayed is important. The reason they stayed is they did not want to give up their right of return. It's not that they're, they can't. They, many, many of those Palestinians went and became Jordanian citizens. But the ones that are still there are doing so because they believe if they leave and accept Jordanian citizenship, they will, they will give up their rights and claim to Palestine itself. And so... 
but also the UNRWA is helping the Palestinian they still helping the Palestinians who stayed in these camps. They're not really intent on anything's houses. It's like supermarkets, schools, everything. But they have their own set. Um, they have good schools because it's set up by the, the UN. The UN, uh, good healthcare, maybe better than other uh, for Jordanian in some type of villages, like the one you live there. Yeah. Um, like it's just like a trade for them, maybe I guess. The, yeah, some of the people that are in the camps, the UN is responsible for them, and sometimes the UN has a, a higher standards than maybe the local governments do. Yes. So a lot of people stay in the camps and, and, and stay but there. So. My, yeah. what, what, what I'm trying to think about is that the, what we're saying about these youth who know so much, it only applies to a kind of a middle class, upper middle class group of kids around the world. And that there's these kids who live in villages and refugee camps and rural who don't have access to all that stuff. So they all have access yeah, to do. see to see what the world is look like, but I don't think they have access to live it. But they yeah. they all have the access to the dream of um, that's what I'm gonna do. And I find the kids from villages um, in, in Jordan. I'm speaking only about Jordan. Uh, they work so hard. I would say let's say harder than my own brother, who uh, was a middle class. Uh, have he had this life already for him, uh, they work harder on, I want to reach the middle class, uh, like a teenager, middle class, uh, type of life, or dress like them, or speak English like them, um, have my Instagram page like them. Uh, and an important thing to remember is that, like, and, and I always, I have to make this point always to people to understand how terms of access, um, you know, the vast majority of the, of the world has free-to-air satellite television, meaning that all you need is really, you can make a satellite dish out of yeah, a Coke can. Yeah, we don't pay cable there. They don't have cable. You don't have to, it's free. It's free. So every, even in the refugee camps, if you've got a, like a $20 television and a, and a you know, a, a plate that you can stick to, like, you know, aim at the satellite and a, and a kind of cheap receiver, you've got a thousand channels. And so... They can see, they can see our movies. So even if they don't have, let's say, like, you know, like, you know, the phone in their hand, they can watch movies all the time yeah. with people in their hands. And also remember, they do, they do occupy the same cultural space as Dubai and Doha and those uber, uber wealthy countries. Yes. And so a lot of their culture, even if they're in like Syrian refugee camps or they're in Palestinian refugee camps, their culture is determined by what they're seeing in front of them, regardless of what's outside the house. And so if they're seeing Dubai on TV, they're going to think that that's what their world is like. And so that it's, it's, it's a really strange thing. It's like, there's this really quick acceleration because, and in a weird way, because it's free. And, and that's the thing. Remember something too, DVD piracy is a big thing in the world. So there's many, many children in this world who have seen way more movies than I have because they cost 25 cents because they're pirated. They're just 25 cent little rewritable discs. So the notion that they don't have access, remember, um, the future finds a way. Whether you're, you're ready for it or not, the future's going to pull you into it whether you're not. And, then, and it just seems to me that that's one of the things, that whether they're going to go, whether we, they'll find a way to get there to the future, whether you want it or not. And you, we can say, okay, you know, um, the, the earth is flat. You know, at a certain point, that, that when that digital, that high-speed internet, when that internet cable got there, it was a real quick switch after that, and they're, 
You know, I think it's important to always remember that, that even in the lowliest refugee camps around the world, you will see satellite television all everywhere because it's free and it's worldwide. So there, you can make an argument that they are infinitely more exposed to, to different cultures and different peoples that way than we are, who are much, much more channeled into... I would say we know about you guys. That's a great point. Way more than you think you know about us. Yep. Because the way you know about us in the Middle East, just... It's from I'm our not talking about you or Andy, but I mean like in American in general. I find it that the way they know about us is the movies they watch, which is always bad, make us look like bad terrorists, yeah. uh, bad people, uh, just weird people, or um, what they saw on Friends. CNN yeah. or not, uh, like um, Fox or something, like another terrorist attack happened here or something like that. But we know, like how I know how Georgia looked like because I saw it in a movie. Yeah. And I was like, wow, that's so beautiful. I know there's different accents in America. Mm. People in America don't know. They think everybody in, every Muslim speak Arabic. Like, no, it's not. That, that was the biggest shock when I got there is how much they, how much more they knew about yes. my country than I knew yes. about theirs. And I used to think it was, oh, because, you know, America were the biggest and the best. And it was like, nah, you're just, it, you're out there. The media is about the U.S. But then, but they always make the point, what have you done to show, you know, see us? And it, I didn't have an answer. And that's when I realized yeah. that I really need to listen to what, you know, the culture is all about. Yeah. What, what do you, do you teach, what subject do you teach in high school? Uh, uh, I teach history. I teach world history. Uh, and I teach Middle Eastern history. And, and I teach Vietnam. Do you teach in private school? Yeah. So your kids are probably more sophisticated than some? No. You would think so. It's the same thing. Take the kid who's been sheltered his whole life. Take the kid who's on those streets. Which one has a more accurate interpretation of what the perspective of the world? Remember, millennial, millennial children became millennial parents. So hel that term helicopter parent? They, it's really, and that's another reason why they're pissed off, is they realize that everything had been sheltered from them. But you have the wealthiest students. And we have, I also have very wealthy, wealthy students, but it's, that's even worse, because they're sitting there like, I'm, I'm uber wealthy, I'm uber, you know what I mean? Why am I so ignorant about so many of the things in the world? And so like when I, one of the reasons, that I, I'm not trying to say they love me, but when I show up, they respond to me really well, because I tell them, like, guys, there's a world out there y'all gotta see. Yeah. And they're and when they, that's it when they find out how much they didn't know because it was kept from them, that pisses them off. And that's that's the one thing is they keep saying you know in teaching we have this phrase now called um, you know sage on the stage sage on the stage versus guide on the side mm. that for the longest time in education we were all standing on stage and we were the fountain of knowledge onto them. They've got Wikipedia in their hands. They've got all the knowledge in the world in their hands. What the hell do they need me for? Yeah. You know, and so at a certain point, then my style has to change to instead of, okay, I can't be their source of knowledge, they're going to go, even if I were, they're going to go find the truth anyway. So I might as well give them the tools able to do it. And I think what you're seeing with some of this disconnect with reality and this, this cognitive distance, this dissonance is that, that gap in that there's a generation that was responsible for teaching the next one how to deal with the future and we didn't know how to do it and so we kind of left it on the side and now this new generation is realizing what do you mean you didn't do anything about the planet didn't you see the data and we kept talking about 
QAnon and shit. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to swear, but like, do you see my point? Like, they're like, what are you talking about? Like, that level of, yeah, I don't know how to explain it any better than that. Like, it's just this kind of, we screwed up somewhere here, and I'm still trying to figure that out. And rather than kind of jump in front of them and teach them, I've, I've had to draw myself back much, 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 much more. And I'll, give, I'll be real honest with you, virtual is help. They do open book quizzes. They do open book tests now. And so the question is, oh, why is that okay? Aren't they going to cheat? And it's like, and then you, the question is, well, the only way that they could cheat is having someone else write it. Because how are you supposed to cheat? At the end of the day, it's still going to be, you know what I mean? It's still going to be them. They just used all the resources they had at their disposal. Which we usually have if you're doing research so anyway. There? Yeah. Okay. Let's let's. That was fascinating. To finish up with the marriage business, um, how do you? What were the most? When was the most challenging time? Was it like when you transitioned to the U.S. or having babies? After the first challenge, what was most challenging? I think transitioning to the U.S. and the feeling that I have to depend on him with everything that yeah. was that was big for me because I hated it. Uh, he's busy, he's doing his thing, and remember, he didn't live in the states for a, also a long time, so he was trying to find his own thing. Um, I just didn't know how to do anything here. Um, I was lucky enough to live in a boarding school when we first came because it was safe. It was like nice people. Uh, people out there to, to help if I need help but I feel like that was the most challenging thing for me through our oral marriage but now it's like it's fine now it's easy it's over I would you say, just have to go through the first thing and then it's fine I would say last year was one of the harder parts and not because of anything it wasn't like it took it we had to it forced us we had to talk it out the culture shock of Los Angeles, because the other part of it is not just that we're in LA. She works at a boutique five-star hotel in Beverly Hills, and I teach at an Uber preppy private school. So the culture that we coming showed up Peace in, Corps, from, uh, coming from Peace Corps and Winter that, School, it was a totally different mindset than the luxurious life. So what, our reaction to Los Angeles, my, I'm. Noreen's was much better than mine. Noreen's, you know, she was she'd already kind of done that when she came. So when we got to LA, it was like, oh, Sin City, USA. You know what I mean? She was she kind of took it with. She was a little bit able, but more able to kind of deal with it. Whereas me, the the, the level of I don't mind telling you, the level of confusion. I didn't know what I was. You know, I didn't know how to fit in here to a certain extent. I didn't know how to explain all of this to her or my children and everything. And we had moved halfway across the country. I didn't handle that well, and you know, emotionally, it's, it's emotionally it was yeah. really bad for me. And then COVID came, and it's kind of like a slap to the face. It's when we got that difficulty, and then we looked around at all of these uber wealthy, rich people going through a really rough time because their whole reality kind of came down. We suddenly realized, oh wait a minute! Reality is the actual what we had lived through. It's living. It's it's the yeah. real world is much closer to what we understand it to be than what this world that we have been trying to inhabit was. And as we started to watch all these uber wealthy, narcissistic, Los Angeles, like Hollywood esque kind of people, deeply, deeply, deeply struggling to deal with it, and we realized, like, it's not that hard. I mean, it's not like. <laughs> 
marriage and refugee camp are. You know what I mean? When we realized how strong that we actually were, how how do I explain? How ready we are we were to deal with this compared to everybody else who really genuinely wanted everybody to believe they could deal with this, but in actuality couldn't because they never really had to deal with that. You were used to adapting. You'd adapted many times. We were able to adapt to to the life in Jordan. Like even if I was from Jordan, still living with an American, marrying an American, that was a whole new thing we had to get to learn to do. Then coming to the United States, my first time visiting America, then coming to Pennsylvania, uh, trying to find a job, uh, work on that, coming to LA. So I will say a little bit, maybe for me, it was easier than Andy. Because my life before Andy, when I was a child, was not an easy life. So I always had this like survival mode in me. So I, I would always call myself, I don't have a dream job or I don't have a dream car. I want to make it work. So because this is how yeah. I grew up. Most of Middle Eastern are the same way. Or we say like Middle Eastern, Jordanian are the same way. We don't have a dream thing like you guys have here. I'm happy, lucky to have a job. You know what? I'm going to learn how to love it. I have a car. Grateful that I have a car. I've learned a lot about privilege. A lot about privilege from living yes. together in that. But no, I'm serious. Yeah. When, when we look yeah. at job descriptions, she looks at what it pays. I and look schedule. at the schedule. schedule. I look at the description and try to figure out if it fits into yes. my life plan. Like that, and I know that's weird. You know what I mean? I know that's. Weird. I know that's weird here too because you're supposed to do what you love, right? But See, for me, I never did. That's privilege. Doing what you love is privilege, and yes. but we had the work living together and seeing that observation is what made up me at least understand, and I think. You understand, like, she's taught me a lot just by how she's dealt with this, and she's dealt with coming to America way better than I could deal with going uh, to Georgia. She's, she's, I'm, I'm in awe of my wife's ability to survive and do this. This was, she, she's at the top of her game in a country that's not hers and in a, in a second language. Um, and I need my hand held to go to the bathroom. Not really, you know what I'm saying? Like, I need my hand held to do to go anything. to LA. <laughs> To just exist. And and that was the thing is when we realized that like, you know, when you get to LA, everybody seems to know what's going on except you. They don't. They're just really good at pretending they do because a lot of the superficiality that comes with the Hollywood crowd kind of thing kind of dictates that culture. And so that you get insecure. You know what I mean? And that hit me like a truck. But well, she's been insecure for six years since we got here. So she was just kind of like, well, what else is new? Whereas I took it as... You know, this kind yeah, of midlife crisis kind of, well, I don't know what I'm supposed to do. You know, I don't, I'm supposed to save the family. Like the family I'm supposed to save the family, you know what I mean? Yeah. And when COVID hit, yeah. you know? Yeah. So if you do have a conflict, how? what's your method of resolving it? It, it sounds like you haven't had many conflicts. We have. We have. Holy but I, I love Andy's grandma and grandpa. Uh, uh, they are grandma's turn in 91. Uh, they've been married for 72 years. And I asked them, how do you guys manage to do that? Because um, my parents get divorced. My mom gets married again and divorced again. So I'm sure I'm not taking my advice from, uh, like, don't get me wrong. Like, I'm not going to take, uh, if I want to survive with this person, I don't think I'm going to ask them for advice. So grandma gave me a great advice. She said, never go to bed angry. And that helped. I know that's an old one. 
that helped a lot. And in fact, we were talking about this. There's only been a couple of times that it, that's actually happened, and it was only in LA, and it was and and it was. It was But we were texting each other from the other rooms, like we were having the argument, but we were like not in the same room. And then the next morning, we woke up, had breakfast, and kissed, and, and made up. And um, so not going to bed angry, I think, is the bit. Would you say? I think it's the best thing and understand the person you were. Like, I know he doesn't mean to insult me or he doesn't mean to yeah. hurt me. I know he doesn't have a bone in him to hurt a person. So understanding the person, and he knows I'm the same way. So even if I say sometimes, I will say something stupid because the, my, my, the language barrier, again, sometimes I don't have oh, enough words. One. To explain how I exactly feel, and there's a huge word I heard it on TV or I see like they used it, and I use it in something little, like it doesn't take that big word. As can I, as I, there was one, and this happened just this yeah. year, where so like you can convince yourself that you have this linguistic understanding, but there's it's it's language. There's yeah. words that fall through the cracks. And so what happened was the word to pressure someone, to feel pressured, she heard it used on TV, it was on TV or something like that. And then we were having a discussion and I was trying to ask her if she would like, if she would, I don't remember what it was, or something that I was trying to get her to do something that it was just, I don't think she wanted to do. We were talking about something and she said, and then she said, Andy, but you're, I feel like you're pressuring me. And in that instant moment i knew exactly she had never said it before she didn't have i didn't know i didn't know the word in arabic so i wasn't like i could understand what it means to feel under pressure to make a decision to do something but when she said it immediately i knew what she said and i i took a step i immediately felt horrible about myself because i realized it was 10 years of her feeling like, you know what I mean? Like, oh, we're going to we're getting pizza for right? yeah. But she didn't know how to say, Andy, I just feel like you're pressuring me to get pizza when I don't want to get pizza, yeah. right? But she didn't want to say, I don't want it. She wanted to say, I'll do it because I love you. You know what I'm saying? We'll order pizza because I love you, but not, but I want you to know that you're making me uncomfortable by trying to get me to order pizza when I don't order pizza. And that, that pressure that you're putting on me is sort of this, which I remember even in the moment when it happened, like it, it's shocked me to the point where I sat up and I was like, oh, honey, I didn't realize that that's how you felt. Yeah, and I remember I had to tell you because you asked me something and I didn't know how to explain it because, yes, I do speak English, but not. Sometimes I find myself, um, sometimes when you get tired, if you speak a different language, when you get tired or jump in between two yeah. languages, your brain just like stopped for yeah. a second. right. I don't. I didn't know. Our, I didn't know how to explain it. And he was like, I think you were asking me. So you don't want to answer. You don't want to tell me. You don't. I was like, no. I'm just don't know how to say it. She said something. And I told him. I said something like. This made me cry. You, uh, I told him like you sometimes forget that I'm not from here. I want you to remember. I'm. I'm trying. I'm trying so hard. She said something to me once and made me cry. She was like, Andy, sometimes after we fight, I have to go look up what you said. Yes. I know what you yes, said. Yes. No, but that's horrible. Yes. That was, like she would words. be like, yeah, okay, I get it, I get it, I get it. And then she would have to yes. go look up what I was saying. And yeah. I just assumed that because she didn't say anything at the time. She's okay. When we, that was a, Gail, that was a biggie. Those two happened this year. The, the, when she told me the word pressuring me and then when she told me, there's times I don't know what you're saying, and I and I get mad and sad that my I'm getting mad at you because I don't know what you're trying to say to me, and I don't yes. have the words. 
So I have to go look, I have to try to remember what you said and then type it out phonetically on the keyboard. And sometimes I can't find the word. And that just brought my whole world. That actually was part of the, the fueling of the, like, how, look how wrong I've been this whole time. That was part of the, you know, the whole thing. And then when I took stock, but then that was the, we, you know, we built on top of that sense. And we're in a much, I would say this is, would you, I think this is probably the strongest we've ever, even going all the way back to the beginning. Yes. And we needed LA to do it. And we're going to get tattooed. We said that we're going to get tattoos when we leave. LA, before we leave. This is Los Angeles. Because it really, 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 really was, it tested everything. Uh, And and so like when your back's against the wall, you have no choice but to either fight it or, and we decided to fight. And let's get, let me get this out of the way. We fight really, Scorpio, dude. You know what I mean? It's not, it comes, it goes. You know what I mean? When our fights get hot real quick, and one of the things that we do... But they get done. But they get done. That's the other part. It gets done. It gets taken care of. It's We kind of scare each other into believing, oh, this is a really big deal. If there was one cultural thing we got to work on, it's not, it's trying to modulate that in front of family. Because they're not always sure what the hell we're talking, especially (laughs) when we drift in Arabic. So there's been a lot of times I think family has thought that the marriage was about to be over when we were really just having a discussion about what came in the mail today or something like that. You know what I mean? Like, but it goes hot quick because that's how we are. And in that, you know, you can say it's bad, but at the same time, it gets out. It might be painful, it might be messy sometimes, but it, we don't have to go to bed angry about it, you know? But you sometimes, you know, maybe that's not, we're loud. You know, I'm sure the neighbors, we've woke the neighbor, not woke no, up. We do, like, we, we don't we're not, it's not that loud, but like, we never yell. But it's like this uh, small things, like, oh, I told you to put this here, but my tone will be like the Arabic way. Like the there, see what I'm saying? Yeah. Because we do have a tone. And uh, I find out here in America using that tone, it's like, no, that's not okay. Because I could talk to my brother, like, I told you not to put this here. Can you get the charger? Because this is yeah. run out of battery. And he will be like, yeah, but why are you mad? You could say it nicer. And this is like type of like, until like I, I say, until I, just like, I just asked you. I just said until it. I say that I didn't mean to say it this way, it takes us a little bit of time. Because I don't want to just admit it. Then we got, and it just, we, we work it out. And that's where we're at. Gail, man, you're getting, you're getting a lot, man. Like, like this is some of this is just coming out for the first time now. Um, yeah, honestly, yeah. But that's I, I, everything that we've said is is 100 true. Yeah, that's it really. LA was a bad one, and but we're stronger now for it because we got we had to revert back to uncomfortable. What what part and of LA do you like that too? We are much more happy in uncomfortable situations than we are in comfortable situations. And when we realized that, it made our we got we immediately fell back in love again, very quickly for that reason. Because we realized that it's you can't take two warriors out of the battle, and it's, this isn't it. It's not an iPhone. Um, and expect them just to adjust to peacetime normally. And that's I don't know the war version, but like remember in the Middle East, there's crap going off all the time, you know. And so yes. when you develop that sense, of, like. I always tell people is like you get this it's like this low intensity intensity all the time, your threshold is much, much, much higher. And so when we're around in America and everybody is so uber comfortable, I think that's the one thing that we the cultural difference that we couldn't figure out when we got here is how you know the culture of comfort that we weren't used to. You know what I mean? We're used to struggle and we're used to everybody that we know for the most part. 
we're used to everybody that we know kind of struggling. And when we couldn't, you know, when we weren't surrounded by that, we didn't know how to kind of adjust. And then when COVID kind of happened, we realized nobody knows how to adjust <laughs> except the people that have had to do it. And we've had to do it. It just made it, it just, I don't want to speak for her because that's one thing that as, a, as an American, you know, cis white male that I've had to adjust to is that when we do talk to people, I, I really, because she said that to me once, she's like, Andy, they see me as this stupid Arab girl who doesn't know anything, right? You have to, you can't talk over me. You know what I mean? You have to let me speak. And I, I've learned because that. Because they I've had to, different. Because they, if, if like uh, an American couple does it, they would be, oh, it's fine, it's normal. But if Andy, um, I would ask him sometimes, oh, can you answer? Because like language or stuff, people will look at it as like, like oh, I'm giving permission. she can't yeah. speak. Or like she's asking him for permission. Or they think that I'm, days. right, they think that I'm talking for her because I'm controlling her or something yes. like that. And it's not the case. And no. one of the worst, I got to tell you something, you need to write this down. That show 90 Day Fiance is one of the worst things that could possibly, have you ever heard of it before? I've heard of it, but I haven't if, seen it. If you, no, I would, if you want to know, I, I would do it as a research, honest to goodness, because it, it really is of like, the one advantage we had is we stayed for five years, so by the, and the kids were born in Jordan, so by the time we got here, you couldn't really claim she was doing it for the green card. No. You know what I mean? Like, you can't claim that, but those people on that show have to deal with that, and it's it's a really uncomfortable situation of where we still have relatives call it, like, who say little under-the-table yes, things that are like... That's the long life plan. They watch that show, and then they're like, oh, so that's how she did it. Ah, yeah, right? Like, yeah, and it's, I it's never really, tried to apply for any type of paper when we lived in Jordan for five years. She didn't even apply never, for citizenship for Never. A while. I didn't even apply for like a green card or more. I have my visitor visa to America. Our first five years of being six years of being married because I don't live here. I didn't need it. So people for them, they don't understand that. You wait. Do you mean someone from Middle East doesn't dying for U.S. citizen? Like, no, what's that? It's not going to add to me. I'm still the same person. But I applied for it now because it makes my life easier. Um, and we need you to vote. To do it. And I can vote. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Sorry, go ahead. I'm sorry. That's it. Go ahead. Um, what do you do for fun? Because Masters and Johnson said pair bonding is based on the shared memory of good times. So in the face of two jobs, two kids these cultural adjustments, what do you do for fun? We spend time with our children. Some people do like date nights uh, or once a week or something like that for the couple. We're working at, there's one, even before. But um, we've had that discussion too, like we need yeah, to start. Yeah, I'm going to, um, more, to do it more. Um, I, I believe like, some because um, we don't want to do date night. I mean, we put the kids in bed. We love just we sitting and watching TV. TV. Like, like and we make it's cheesy, but it's and we just watch the whole thing. Let's say we don't. I, how much time do we really spend apart? Like we don't really like we said. We only spent like twenty minutes with each other when we got married. I don't think we've been outside of each other's presence to be honest with you, other than like a conference that I had to go through something for. Uh, even like a day or two without yeah. each other, and and so like, like, what do we do for fun? We exist. And for some people, sometimes date together. nights is too much work, and I'm I'm one of the people that date nights sometimes can be too much work for me. 
It's the only time. Get a babysitter and like get dressed and go outside and come back and you have to work next day. So like both of us are very um, stay at home people. Like we don't like. We're also hardworking too, and that's not helpful. Yeah, so we like we like to be home. Just relax and enjoy. Order food maybe. um, Like have a drink or watch TV. The first time that we actually did date night was here in L.A. last year in response to the turmoil that we were kind of going through. So we thought, well, we have to figure date night is a thing couples do. We should do it. And it kind of felt forced. It kind of felt like we weren't naturally doing it. And then we realized that, no, you kind of, it's not a date. It's only awkward if you call it date night and then try to force yourself to do it. Yeah. Otherwise, it's just you're, you and your buddy going out and having a good time. And that's when we realized it's just best buddies, you know, best friends having a good time. I find it more fun when we are all of us, the four of us, doing something together. I feel like that's that's a beautiful memory. Not me going out for dinner and like thinking that did the kids go to bed? Are they miss me? Do when are they are they struggling with the babysitter or with grandma or something? So I'm not. Um, I don't think they're in the age yet. I'll to t- allow us to do that. I'm gonna tell you something else too, because I just realized something. We didn't have the first time we said I love you as a moment in time in which, oh my God, he said it. We did have the first time I said, Noreen, you're my best friend. And we both melted when we, I remember that. I remember that. I remember the first time I said, you're my best friend. And from that point on, that was a much, would you say, that was a meaningful one. You were, when we were, yeah. I have to sit and think about it, it's like, yeah. That's a big deal. You're my best friend. That was a big, I remember that one. I remember exactly everything about that one. Did you text it or say it in person? You were, I think we were in bed. You were like, I don't, we were, he had something that day, something about his, um, his job, mm-hmm. and uh, we are very much involved in each other's work, not in, in a bad way, just like telling each other what's happening, uh, listening to each other, what do you think I should say, what do you think I should do, um, and that night, um, you were not having the best day of your school year, I guess, right. and you were talking to me about something, and... At the end of it, he said, you know, you're my best friend. And you too. The guy had a job that I didn't like, and I remember she heard this little story. At the end, I felt better, and I said, you're my best friend. And I had my hand on her back when I said it, and I remember her back not melted, but got way less tense. And I remember thinking to myself, ooh, that hit a nerve. And then she said, you're my best friend, too. And she kind of got glassy-eyed, and she said it. And then I got glassy-eyed, and I realized how big it meant. That was a, that was the big one. Yeah, sorry, I didn't even change the subject. You said they love you. That was much more meaningful for me. I think that took the pressure off the idea well, yeah. that I have nobody here, but my husband. Just the idea, just he's he's just my husband. I have no my friends or none of my family here, but this is my family and he's my friend. So I sometimes people would like me to answer different to that question um, in Middle East or here. Don't you miss your family? Of course I miss my family. Of course I miss my mom, my brothers. But I'm not dying for it. Uh, I'm gonna see them. I see them every day through like a FaceTime or something. But this is my family too. Yeah. Yeah. So how would you say that you have changed, evolved, grown from being together? How are you different people because of the relationship? Patience. Um, I would say that you learn how to yeah. Um, work, oh, yeah. work for other people, work with other people. Mm-hmm. Um, 
understanding that there's what I say and what I feel, what somebody else says. And so like when she says this, but I'm her husband, I, we live together. I know that's not what she's feeling right now. Does that, I hope that's coming across her. Like that when she'll say, oh, you know, I think it's like fine. And it's really not fine. That kind of thing. Like when you see that all the time, like she'll say, oh, it's fine. It's fine. It's fine. And I can, I know my wife. I know it's not fine. You carry that with you to your other relationships that when you go to work and you're in a meeting and somebody says, oh, yeah, that's a really good idea. But you can kind of get a sense that oh, they don't really think it's a good idea to trust that instinct, you know, that that no, 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 that's when she does it, it's valid. So when he does it, it's valid. And to, then you got to stop and realize you're not the only person in this world. And, sorry, that's, that's so a, you yeah, become that's, more tuned in and perceptive. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I think for me, it was more. Um, because of my childhood and the way I grew up, I always had this like, I have to do this for people because um, because I have to. It was never coming from um, because I love to do this. I think I grew up so much on that. With duty. Not, yeah, like my duty is like because this is my family and I love them and I, I'm happy to do this for them. Different than, well, I have to cook and clean for my brothers because my parents are divorced, so poor me. So that's not even, like, that's not here anymore because mm. I always tell myself, I choose this life. And choice. I chose this life. Choice. Like, when we first got married, she would, like, those duties that you kept talking, she would do it furiously as if, like, she's, like, my duty, I love my family, so I do these things. So she would do it with a, with a passion and a, like... I took care of my five brothers really, when my parents were divorced, and I was eight when I started taking care of them. I was wow. like young so for me it was like this is doesn't have to be a continuous to the thing that i left before now this is i'm gonna enjoy life here enjoy being around my children i'm not gonna repeat what my parents did um no i'm gonna be my i'm not i don't have to to even think about uh, the, the life before when she tells me to do the dishes it's she loves me and trusts me enough to know I'm not going to get ticked off. Like, I'm not going to drive my husband out into the arms of another woman because I asked him to clean the back. <laughs> yeah, no, but that's, that, that seems silly. It took years, I would say, for her to feel, I, I can't speak to her feelings, but to, to be saying, like, and I'm doing it, no. And, and when that happened, that was, a, oh, he really loves me enough to let me piss him off, you know? And that helped, and that really, and after that point, she didn't, she wasn't so, like, furiously cleaning. It wasn't, like, housework wasn't this proof of love to anyone. Now it was just, exactly. it was a chore it was that she, if, she, yeah. if she didn't want to do it, she didn't have to. It yes. wouldn't be, it she, be didn't have to, she didn't have to base her self-worth on how well she kept her out. But before, like, in Middle East uh, mentality, we have this, like, as much your house look clean, you're a good person, you're a good woman, let's say. Your cooking is uh, like, like the display of your cooking is amazing. The That's 19, like, yeah. like, yeah, like you got 10 of 10, you know. It's 1950s housewife kind of. Exactly, but no one cares about how, how you feel. Are you sick? You're not feeling well, you're tired? Maybe you just want to lay down today. That I had to learn uh, how to talk myself out of the way I used to, to think. Right. Yeah. Did you have servants when you were taking care of your four brothers? You had to do all the cooking, and I mean, don't middle class families have servants? We had, um, but because my father was a divorced uh, man, and we couldn't have a female uh, staying with us, so she was coming twice a week. She was hired by my grandfather, 
coming twice a week, doing like the deep, deep, deep work. Okay, my father was, um, I would say, not there much. So it was kind of, I felt like it's my job as the only girl in the family. Uh, I have uh, three younger brothers and one older um, than me. And I had to cook, I had to clean, I had to uh, help them with their homework. Well, I didn't even know how to help my own self with the homework. I was so little. And I think it was like so much responsibility like thrown on me mm -hmm. in a very young age. Um, and also dealing with stigma of divorce that she had to deal with too, you know. Also, I, I was like very stubborn because I did this when I was little. I don't have to listen to someone telling me this. Or someone's pain doesn't count for me because I had it harsh when I was little. I had to grow up, learn. But that's someone's pain. That's um, maybe this shore is too much for this person because they're not used to it. But if it's okay for me, that doesn't mean it's okay for everybody. Yeah. One second, we heard a cough, so just let me check. Me and Miriam, you okay? They're fine. Okay. That was quick. You just got like, I heard a cough. Yeah. But I gotta tell you, that was a big one for me. Is that is as time went on, the that household duties, as time went on, she wasn't as fired up about them, and it, and when she we had this, we she would talk relax. about it. It's you started to realize that she had that she. She, I can't, once again, I can't speak, but it just, it, it started to seem to me that she had wrapped up so much of her self-worth on how much she could perform her wifely duties. And when, you know, as time, as we started talking more and more and more, just got better at being married. When we realized that she didn't need to do that anymore, it got so much better and that she's just, it's, she's calm. You can relax and just be taken care of and, and you're not offending me to make me clean the bathroom. You know? <laughs> um, do the girls want to say hi? Or do you not want them on TV? On I prefer if not. Just okay. Yeah, I mean, they could say hi, but they, I, we're not at that point yet. Okay. Do you want to put girls on? To say I'm hi? Do you want to come say hi? Girls! Me now? Come here. Mary, Mary, Mary doesn't want. Okay. Mina, come here. You want to come say hi? Can you come say hi to this nice lady? Friends, come here. That's Gail. Can you say hi, Gail? Hi, Mina. You know, hi, I grew up in L.A. Do you like living in L.A.? You can be honest. Be honest. Yeah. <laughs> what no. don't you like about it? Don't you go to the beach and see the dolphins? I mean, it, there's a lot of really fabulous things to see in L.A., no? Well, I mean, there is, but we don't really go to the beach anymore because it's too cold. And quarantine. And quarantine. Oh. They, we've only been here. And they love they, seasons. They love the snow, that was, too. Yeah, sorry. And it's too hot here, and um, there's way too much noise. Oh, the traffic noise, huh? Mm-hmm. Mm. What, do you like your school? Yeah, it's too overprotective. Why? Because they won't really let us play tag. <laughs> but you, you mean when you, when you went to school, but now you're doing virtual school, right? Yeah. Oh, but when you were in regular school, they wouldn't let you play tag? Yeah. They have they, really overprotective rules. They don't even have before they had like a like really nice playground with like a glass door and like swings and everything, but then they had to remove it because they didn't want any kids getting hurt. Helicopter protective. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, they, I, have, this, they went they was more of outdoor. It was an outdoor like, experiential learning yes. kind of place. Oh. So friend's school so it's also all about like outdoor go play be a oh, child 
Mina, last question. I know this is a little bit early, but what kind of work do you think you might like to do when you're grown up? She has so many. <laughs> uh, a lot. I think I kind of want to be a cartoonist. Or an animator, right? Or animator or cartoonist. Or, or an art. But art, okay, got it. What are your favorite animations in... Video. Do you like anime or do you like, are you, I don't know what you really like. No, no what do you like? What is, I don't you? really like anime. I like sometimes uh, like 2D animations and 3D animations. Mm -hmm. Have you learned how to make them yourself? Yeah, kind of. She's getting there. Yeah. She's she taught is. herself. You'd be yeah. amazed what you can do with some tutorials on YouTube. She mm. taught you. Imagine our surprise. All of a sudden, we came out. She had animated like a three D character, and then we asked her how, and she's like, "YouTube." And she loved to draw, and she drew very, very, very beautifully. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Do you have anything you want to show us that you've drawn? Yeah. Go be something. Go see <laughs> how cool! Mm -hmm. She's perfect example of what you said, Andy, about this and, new generation. No, but there's an interesting thing, and I hadn't thought about it until just now, of the notion of. Um, Unless we're unless it's we're struggling, we don't know how to exist. Same, it's you, you saw her. That, that it's very telling that that keeps coming back. Of what don't you like about your school? She's like they're way too overprotective. I'm like yeah, because they don't want you to get hurt. She's like daddy, I don't care if I get hurt. Like it's no fun not to get hurt. She said this and 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 I didn't until this very minute after we've had this conversation. I never realized why that was always the first thing she would say about why don't you like your school. She's like, because they won't let us play on the, they won't let us play tag. They won't let us, you know what I mean? They, they keep, you can, no, you can't do that. No, you can't do that. And I never really realized it until this, this minute right now. It's why perfect. That it's perfect. So where, we'll see if she brings something out here. Where, where we, do you live in LA? May I ask? Brentwood. Hmm. So you want to hear the logic? You live in, you live in the area. Here was our dumb logic. We thought to ourselves, when we got here, we were like, okay, Beverly Hills is there, Brentwood's there, so here's what we'll do. We're going we're gonna, to we're gonna get a small apart, two-bedroom apartment, right? We'll get a small apartment. It's on Barrington, so it's, it's, so it's noisy. As, it's like being up next to the 405, you know what I mean? It's loud. But, but, you know, it's L.A., you know what I mean? It's a good weather, you know, there's a lot of stuff to do. And I'm not making this up, Gail. The, these words actually came out of my mouth. I said... I was like, yeah, it's two bedrooms, but you know, it's not like, it's not like they're going to lock us in here for like three years or something like that. Those, I'm not kidding. So then, but, and, and it happened. And so then we had to struggle a little bit with just kind of existing there. So then we say the beach, remembrances too. They came, they used to live, they, they kind of came alive when we lived in Pennsylvania at a boarding school campus in the woods and the, you know, in the trees and they ran around in the fields. When, um, when they got here, they were really not impressed at all. And then, so we started to really, so that you can imagine how anxious that we got, because we're like, oh, we got to prove why we did this. And so we, we started to find things. We got restaurants that we like, they got, you know, they took swimming lessons at the YMCA in Santa Monica. We went to the beach every, every weekend, you know? And then COVID came, you know? You can't I mean? go to the beach? That, the parking lots were all closed. They, L.A. They L.A. County is bad, man. They locked it down quick. 
And we don't trust anybody. That's another thing too. That's it, it spreads so fast here. We don't trust anybody, and because we don't want to, we don't want to carry it on other people. So from their perspective, they were yanked out of the world that really for Miriam, the only world she had ever known, and jammed them in a two-room apartment. Even the dog was pissed off at us for weeks. Like she wouldn't look at us for weeks. <laughs> and we were trying to say, no, oh, it's better. It's way, honey, no, it's going to be awesome. And they really didn't get it. And when COVID came, as of like right now, they've existed in this country. Now, nah, maybe a little less. But they're, they're quickly approaching, they've been in quarantine longer than they've actually lived in L.A. and without it. And so that's really problematic for them. And that's really difficult for them. And luckily, but here's the thing, they got a mommy and daddy who've got some grit and have done their best to try to instill that grit in them. So God bless, I'm very happy. They're tough kids, man. Sorry, they're tough. They're dealing with it. They're they're still not impressed, and I don't think they will ever forgive us for moving them out here because they were in like little kid heaven out there. We lived there. It was a it was a boarding school in the woods. There were fields. There was deer running through all the places. Like, you know, when Danny went to work, he worked at the building across the like literally twenty feet like, like three away from our front campus, door. Uh, friends play this. So the moment I realized they really don't like it, when Mina said, "Oh, I have something to show you," and she made a. A PowerPoint presentation for where she want to live and reasons why she didn't want to live in LA. And she was like, um, pollution, noise level, and stuff like she listed all like in Wisconsin is this, it's uh, in Chicago is this, and in LA is this, and this is places Gail. that I would love to know Gail. to go. Even the prices of half the she We hinted that we and, might leave. Yeah. We hinted that we might leave. And she, and she came back at us with a and I a well-formed, categorized, like pro and con PowerPoint that she put up. Yes. With Daddy, these are the types of houses that are there, and this is the type of house that I want. And of course, it's a mansion with like a thousand rooms, but it didn't change that at that but point. She understood the price range. But she understood too. the price range too. She's like, Daddy, um, this house is this, and and at that point is when we realized. It's not our decisions anymore. At a certain point, we, we do everything for our kids anyway. But that's when we realized that they had well thought out the level to which they really did not like it here. And it'll always be home, and they, and they have friends. And, and she didn't say it, but Serena, her best friend here, as she said, is the best friend of her life, right? She's like the friend, she has her best friend here, and they're best buddies. And, and but she, she loves Pakistan. my family too. She wanted to be close to his side. Right. She loved my side too, but she more used to his side. She loved them, and she wanted to be close to them too. And to be clear, also, there's another piece of this too. Is one of the reasons that we decided to leave the boarding school in rural white Pennsylvania, suburban, very affluent area of Pennsylvania, was that we were surrounded by. People that, and I didn't realize until we got here, and my children started bringing home all of these brown-skinned children as friends. And we realized very quickly that as much as, as a white male, even though, you know, the, the, the shade of my daughter's skin is a little bit, maybe a little darker than mine, that doesn't change the fact of how they see themselves. Mm -hmm. And what came out continuously was that we, Daddy, we never felt like we were, we looked like all the other people in our class. Mm -hmm. And so they're happier because, you know, because they're not, they don't look like us, Danny. They look like you, but they don't look like us. Like the moms are different, come and picking up their kids from the school in Pennsylvania. Mommy is different. Mommy, did, like skin color is different. Mommy have an accent and 
They know. Oh, when they thought Noreen was the maid once, that pissed it's me did. that pissed her off. Yes. That made her really mad. Oh, the nanny. They thought she was the, the nanny. nanny. Yeah, they thought I'm the um, Hispanic nanny, uh, literally the Mexican nanny for the kids because they're both white and I'm not. And they asked the if she spoke Spanish. Really mad. She would, uh, it was a dance school in Pennsylvania. I mean, I didn't want to go back again. She was so mad. I said, it's okay. Um, it was hard to explain to her that some people think this way only because you're different than them. That pissed her off. I remember she was mad. She was, mad. Yeah. she was really mad. Yeah, she, was, she, she didn't understand why they would think such a thing. Yeah. yeah. Good. I mean, she should be mad. Um, yeah. So, it, uh, last question. What kind of right. advice would you give to a young couple starting out? Like, like, let's say to your girls when they're getting ready, if they choose to get married, what what would you say to them based on your experience? Make sure you do and don't do, besides don't go to bed mad. Like an international couple, like a cross couple, or just any couple? Any. Do your thing. I would say always do your thing. Like don't put yourself behind the person. Uh, I think my biggest moment was I'm going to continue working in hotels. I think that was the happiest um, moment of realization of my life is going to be. I didn't have to cancel my life to be yeah. with this person. Continue to be yourself. Um, that was it. Do what, you, what you're good at or like. That was a big moment in our courtship, too, was when she came to me and she's like, Andy, when, when the children are born, can I still work? And, like, you know, like... You know, the typical, like, not typical, but like the you know, Arab man, like, no, my darling, never, never, I would, I would never let you soil your hands with work. No, because I used to give this arranged marriage, and people come to see me uh, to let like, display, uh, check you oh, out, beautiful, this thing, this that. Uh, so, here's what I'm looking for uh, I don't want you to work, I want you to stay home. So, for me, I was like, no. So, I would always make sure uh, the person I wanted to be with understand that. I'm going to continue my life as a working person. She passed up on a whole lot of financial stability to be with this idiot. You know what I'm saying? Like, so, like, so the question you guys make, hey, when the children come, can I still work at, like, this idiot? You know what I mean? Like, please do. Honey, I don't know. I don't know if you know what I do for a living, but we're going to kind of need you to work here. You're like, so, yeah. And I couldn't, and she was so happy, and I couldn't understand. And so I felt like an idiot that I just, well, I guess I'm a really awesome guy. When actuality was she can be herself, that she doesn't have to change who she is. Um, for me, that and was I think nice. also um, very important that both, uh, both both of them have to compromise, not one person. So if I am going to be, I think if I am forced to be like, well, we're going to live in America, there's no option that we're going to move somewhere, that's going to be hard. I'm going to feel all the time, well, I lost something, you didn't, you're home, you're around your family. But thankfully, we never had to, to do that because I made it clear. I'm not gonna be a victim. Uh, and, and like, yeah, we both have to do things. Like, you lived in Jordan for five years. We live in here. God knows where next we're gonna be. And I love that idea of which I know where we're gonna go. Andrew, like uh, for me, there's a couple. Telling somebody how you feel in a relationship, telling them how you feel was is never the wrong thing. Ever. In a like it, ever. Even in a fight, though, like it come, if it's something that's really making us angry and it comes out angry, but at least, like if I see her, she raises her voice at me, at least I can see that it's really making her angry. Like the fight is the, how do you explain it? The, 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 how do I, the, the argument is the 
problem resolving itself just as much as it is an indication that there is a problem. You know By what I mean? putting so it out there. You got to remember that that the argument, yeah, it's the solution is looks a lot like the problem too sometimes. You know, mm. and remembering that and that that you no one ever telling someone how you feel is, is going to make it way less likely that. Um, that there's going to be a problem, and then the other one I, I was thinking about because your, your your email alluded to gender roles that the roles you get to define them, and I think that was when when we got over the whole because remember she was trying to guess what she thought an American wife was supposed to be. I was trying to guess what an Arab husband was supposed to be. Yeah, and actually it got good when we realized that we we get yeah. to define our own yeah. role. Like our roles are it's a constitution. You know, we it's that you it's a. The best thing that I, the best, I don't know, the, a team. Like, I, I've said that to we, we say that all the time, too, that at the end of the day, if we could, the romance could dry up tomorrow, we'd stay together simply because we're really good team. And it's not about who does really more or who does less or, no, it's not. If I, I think I'm a person like things to be done right away, and I have an idea on it to be done right away. And I, 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 it took me a while to understand that doesn't mean you have to do it right away because I have this idea. I decided to do it now. He doesn't have to get up and go do it. I can do it if I want to. Like, it doesn't have to become a challenge. I said I want to do this, then you have to go to the grocery store to do this. And I also, the best thing we did, we never copied other couples. Yeah. Like, we have families who is the perfect picture of good-looking, skinny, perfect children, a picture every uh, Christmas and every fall, that type of thing. Um, we didn't feel we have to do that. Yeah, they we are. kept getting the Christmas cards, and then a year later, the same couple that was happy in the Christmas card was divorced. And then you realize that they're fronting. I mean, they're they're trying yes. to express, "Oh, we're look how happy we are." Yes. And when and then it dawned on us that we've never done that in our entire lives. And then we were, that was yeah. what made it so much better. Is that you know, like it's it's. Not but that, so. I would text you a Merry Christmas, but I don't have to. Um, maybe it, it is beautiful. I love seeing people go and take pictures as a family memories and so. But for us, we have our own way of doing things, and it didn't feel like we we understood we didn't have to change it to please other people or to fit more and other people uh, things, especially being from different uh, culture background. The other one is the. I'll just I'll leave this one ready. We didn't know we were an interracial couple until like three years in when our my mom referred to us as an interracial couple. Yeah. And so we were really confused by it. And she said, she's like, interracial couple. And I was like, what do you mean? What the hell are you talking about? And, it, and you realize that like, yeah, this is how they look at you. That's how they see you. But yeah. see, the thing about it is, is that I've never seen, I see her. She sees me. I just see the person I love. Yes. She just sees the person she loves. Um, the one thing that is always, in terms of other couples, the one, there is one, the interracial couples, there is a, I would say there is a fraternity and a brotherhood of, interracial couples have a much deeper understanding, it just seems to me sometimes, of, of not always, but certain, sometimes with relationships, because of that, because they, they don't see, they see the person they love. And everyone else just sees this interracial couple. And when you see the disconnect and realize, oh, no, 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 you don't see what I see, then you don't have to base what's here doesn't need to be determined by what's out there. Yeah. What's here is determined by us. 
People look at us as an interracial couple. I've never thought of us as that ever. I've just thought of us as a couple that loved each other. Like I look at him as like Andy, my husband, my friend. I never look at him because I hear this comment all the time. Are you married to a white man? Like, uh, yeah, I, I guess. Sure. I never look at him. I like never. Yeah. yeah. He traveled. He lived in Jordan and Nazareth and Kenya too. Uh, so I didn't. I, I didn't have to feel yeah. that way in my own house. But outside, for sure. I got to say, this is better than marriage counseling. I got to say, right I know. this is very therapeutic. This is this is very. We should have done this a while. We should have just done this. You know. Good, thank you. Yeah, we'll call it that next week with the next. Good. I love it. <laughs> oh wow! I'm gonna. 